I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Back by popular demand, today's guest is Matt Maruka. You may have heard him a couple years back on the episode Extreme Biohacking Millennial Edition that was recorded in New York City and quickly rose to the top of my podcast charts. In fact, up until very recently, Matt's episode was my number one podcast of all time in terms of download numbers. Now, he's recently been bumped down to, I think, number nine or 10, but out of 230-something episodes, he's still a very popular guest. So I'm very excited to get Matt back. We sat down uh, recently in London and had a three-hour-plus conversation that you're about to hear. Now, don't be scared off by that number. I know three hours sounds like a long time. But I really want to encourage you that if you can't listen to it in one sitting, that you bookmark it and come back and listen to the whole thing. Because the first half is really fun, a lot of information provided, but we just have a great time. So it will likely be, if nothing else, at least entertaining to you. But in the second half, he really starts breaking down some of the science of what he calls the light diet. And that's a diet he developed that directly addresses the root cause of modern diseases, and mitochondrial dysfunction. So not light like having a light meal, but light like the light that we're surrounded by. So make sure you stay to the end to hear his final analysis because it is mind-blowing. And I've learned so much from Matt. He's a younger guy, much, much younger than I, but he's just brilliant. He's funny. He's a great person. And uh, I'm just really excited to bring him back to the show. That same week, I also recorded next Tuesday's episode Uh, while I was on that trip at the Health Optimization Summit. And this is an episode about fitness. And you know this show is all about building the ultimate lifestyle, about health, spirituality, etc. And yet I don't do many episodes about fitness, and that's no accident. It's just due to the fact that if I'm really, really honest with you guys, I kind of hate to work out. (laughs) Now I do it, but I want to do workouts that are super fast and get maximum results. I am not the guy that's going to sit in the gym and like listen to 50 Cent and CNN and shit all day. It just ain't going to happen. So I've tried and it doesn't happen. So next week's episode is called Fitness and Fat Loss for Lazy People, Hacking Hit Workouts with the Carol Bike, which is an AI bike I recently discovered and I'm just obsessed with because the workouts are like 10 minutes and it shreds you. It's the coolest thing ever. So next week, we're back to a hardcore fitness episode. It's actually a really fun one, but it's it's really cutting into the cutting edge technology that's starting to be developed. So when I find something that's very cool and effective and fast, I'm going to tell you about it. So that's next Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss it. Here's what I talk about in this massive epic groundbreaking episode with Matt Maruka. Why, if you're a guy, you're probably ejaculating too much and how it's diminishing the pleasure of your orgasms and draining you of minerals. How Matt's first appearance on this show changed the trajectory of his life forever. The energy meditation practice that can help you cultivate your inner light and the fact that your physical body is a being of light and that there's science to prove it. How blue light debilitates your mitochondria. Then we consider the idea that hereditary diseases as a concept might be fake news. The missing link between chronic diseases, the epidemic of depression, and mass shootings. How and when to eat if you want to lose weight. 
and why the way you're eating right now is probably causing you to gain more weight. The harsh truth that junk food doesn't make you fat by itself, but junk light does. How artificial light is absorbed into every part of your body, not just your eyes, and what you can do to prevent it. How we're destroying a generation's physical development through smartphones and tablets. Why windows are bad and why there's no such thing as natural light if you're sitting behind glass. Why you might want to reconsider procreating if you have a very low sex drive. What the light diet is and how you can start integrating it into your life. And finally, how to hack your morning routine to make the light diet easier. So it brings me great pleasure to bring my boy, Matt Maruka, back on the Lifestylist Podcast. Enjoy the show. So here I am with my old buddy, Matt Maruka. What's up, dog? Nothing much, man. Glad to be back. Yeah, glad to be back. Back at it. Back in black. Hit the sack. Been too long. Glad to be back. (laughs) So uh, speaking of which playing music. So I just was hanging out with a friend. Like I told you, I left. I was like, what am I going to do? I walked down the street into the square Piccadilly circus, like central London. There was a girl singing amazingly, amazing guitar. And it was raining too. So she was about to leave. I said, Hey, where are you from? How's it going? And she said, do you play? Or actually I told her I play. And so she said, do you want to do a duet? So she, she said, do you know Shallow, the song from The Star is Born, the super popular one with Lady Gaga and the other dude? And literally, I'm in the center of London with like 30 people around filming us just like playing the guitar, you know doing the a duet. Yeah, I knew it. It was pretty epic. No way. Yeah, it was just total serendipity, but oh, that's it was sick. pretty fun. I don't have much experience with like public, public playing, but... It worked out. Well, you have a neck. So I remember when we were in Austin last at Barton Springs Pool and you had your little Martin backpack yeah, guitar. always with me. And then you had this app on your phone and you're like busting out Beatles songs, Nirvana songs, just whatever. I'm like, how the fuck do you do that? Like, I can't keep a melody. I can play. I probably am like way better at guitar than you, mm-hmm. but I can't really like <laughs> sing and play songs. I can't, I don't, you know, the lyrics, I don't, it's just difficult. Anyway, good for you. It sounds like an amazing moment. <laughs> um, and, you know... I just totally said I was a better guitar player than you without any knowledge of that being a fact. But I, I think you're probably but right. But I had to claim I know something. You played. I mean, I have been playing for 22 years. so I, I think you I probably guess got playing, me there. I've been playing guitar longer than you've been alive by, what, two years? Yeah. So if I'm not better, I must really suck. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Matt's not been on the show since our first Love meeting. <laughs> since our first meeting in New York City. And uh, yeah, he comes up to me after an event uh, that I spoke at at Cat Beauty in the West Village. Yeah. And he drove all the way up from Philly. He was 18 and he was a listener to the show at that time, which is, means I would have only had the show about a year at that point. Comes up to me afterward and is like, hey man, that was a cool talk. I'm mad. He had a couple of his cronies with him. He's like, I want to be on your podcast. I was like, okay, that's forward, but all right, you know, what's, what do you want to talk about? And he starts busting down his knowledge of EMF, 5G. This is like before anyone knew about 5G even happening before. And, um, and also just junk light and blue light and melatonin and circadian rhythm and why we need DHA and seafood and all this rad shit. Yeah. I was, I was pushing a lawnmower, trying to make money, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I was a set to go to Europe in about two weeks. And Luke said, Hey everyone, if you live in New York city, I'm going to be at cat beauty in the middle of the Dr. Cruz episode that you were doing. It was an advertisement. And I was like, I'm going to go ask Luke if I can be on his podcast. (laughs) And so in the same night, 
Luke asked before anything, just at the end, Buddy and I, Brian, my friend, we were both wearing the the tinted lenses and I tried to have Luke get connected with, you know, with the, the company that does the tinting, but it was such a pain that I just said, you know what, let me do it myself. And so that was arranged. And then at the end of our street conversation where the founder of Four Sigmatic happened to just walk by oh, and I Tarot was like, came by. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. what? Because I hadn't met anyone in the space practically. And then he's like this guy who's on Tim Ferriss's show. I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. So yeah, that's when I asked. And so in the same night, I got the podcast that practically launched the business and the question that launched the business, the podcast that launched, launched my personal brand more. Cause you, you wouldn't believe how many people came up to me at this event and said, dude, I heard your podcast with Luke, like everyone. Oh, so, no way. That's yeah. awesome. So, <laughs> well, you that's know, how I remember it. It speaks to, uh, it speaks to your, you know, self-confidence or else just biting the bullet to, you know, approach someone you don't know and pitch yourself like that. And it, and it, you know, it also speaks to perhaps my intuition knowing like, oh, there's something special about this guy. I was going to say this kid, but you know, you're, you're a man, you're a grown ass man, you know? And, um, I knew there was just something, you had this charisma about you and you were also very knowledgeable, especially for your age. You were busting down some of the, you know, the physics and the science of all of this stuff that I couldn't even begin to explain. So, yeah. And then we did that episode and um, you came up to my hotel. I was staying at the standard, um, uh, and upgraded to the empire yeah, the, suite, yeah, the, 1500 bucks a night. Yeah, practically. I think it was 2,500. I didn't pay that. Trust me. But what had happened was I had a bunch of recordings scheduled. I was out there for the Whitma live event and I was staying in, you know, a nice room at the standard, not the, the smallest one, but a medium one. And I was happy with it. It was chill. It overlooked the river there and it was nice, but, um, I was about to record, I had all my shit set up. I forget who it was. Maybe. Saudi Simone, I think it might've been. And, um, and the fucking AC broke in my room and I was like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. It was hot as shit. Call the front desk. Like, all right, well we can't fix it. So we'll move you to another room. And they moved me into the empire suite and I walk in, it's literally like Scarface's lair. It's, I mean, it's, it's maybe like as big as my LA apartment. It's probably like 1500 square feet or something massive one bedroom there's a den there's huge i mean it's and just the couch where i slept because it was so late yeah, by yeah, the yeah. time we were done i couldn't drive two hours right, home right. without dying so <laughs> so anyway we we sit down and record with no plan which is what we're about to do right now which is something i rarely do because i just uh, you know there's things i want to cover when i'm familiar with someone's work so we sit down and we have like, what was it? Two and a half hour conversation. And this episode obviously exists. Three. You guys can go back and listen. Yeah. Was it three hours? Yeah. So it was the longest too. That was my longest Record episode breaking. ever. <laughs> and so uh, we did that. And dude, we talked about like, I remember one funny point. We talked about Matt's journey. So we're not going to cover that today, which is like his story, how he overcame all these health issues and how he was so tweaked as a kid and he was all fucked up and he fixed it with diet and lifestyle. But then- we just started going to all these weird areas. And I remember one question I asked you, I was like, cause I was interested at the time, I think I said, so what do you think Matt about like, you know, this idea of preserving your chi by not ejaculating? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And I you were the crowd like that. One. Yeah. It was really funny. And I wasn't trying to even be cheeky. I was just like, I was curious if you actually knew anything about it. Cause you were so knowledgeable and you're like, well, Luke, to be honest, I'm only 18. So I'm not really like having sex that much yet where that's a problem or something. It was hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, homie's like just starting to get laid. So like the idea of, you know, working with the energies and semen retention is not top priority at this moment in his life. I have heard about that idea 
a lot more in the last few weeks. Really? Yeah. It's come across in a few different areas. One from actually from a Qigong master in Norway who talks about, you know, masturbation as an absolute unnecessary um, one there. Then an Ayurvedic doctor I met in Bali who will be someone I'm very interested to speak more about on this episode because of how it relates to the stuff we talked about last time. But same thing, he said, masturbation, no go, absolutely not. But sex with a woman, it's okay, he said, you know, a couple times a month because at least you're getting some of their energy, especially if you're practicing Tantra. Then I've come across two separate people. Wait, one, twice a month? Hell Well, no. a couple times a month. That's kind of what he, he was saying for optimal function of the oh, chi okay. because the semen is the most refined, but that doesn't mean not having oh, sex. It just means ejaculating. Okay. So you can, you can, if you ex- practice, you can actually have orgasms, multiple orgasms, full body, brain, mind, everything. I'm not at that level That's yet. That's a Bigfoot story, my friend. No, you it's think not. so? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I've interviewed guys and they're like, oh, I could teach you how to do it. I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm sure you can have, have a guy that. teach you how to do this. Well, that, yeah, that could get <laughs> awkward, I guess, unless you're oriented that way. Yeah, um, of course. No, but I'm just like, it sounds good in theory, but then when you're in the moment, it's like, really? Like, <laughs> really? Why, why do you want to hold it back? But anyway, um, so... Yeah, yeah, so there seems to be some there mounting is. amount because it's the most refined. So we consume food and then, you know, it goes into our blood and it makes blood and then eventually muscle then eventually connective tissue, then bone, then brain, then liver. And then it's this whole process in the most refined fluid in the entire body is semen. So it's the most light dense of all of our fluids. And so the theory is that by keeping it in, keeping more of that energy and we can channel it upwards better. So it's apparently, again, I'm definitely going to get into this eventually, but like you could have much more pleasurable orgasms by not ejaculating and be healthier and live longer. And apparently one person I met who is a master astrologer, I just spent a couple of days with in Croatia. It was super random. We were, it's kind of funky story, but we were both, I was on a new beach in Croatia, just chilling out. The dude walks by. Exactly. Dude walks by, you know, like personally, I'm not oriented that way. However, the guy looked friendly and I just waved, said, what's up? He looked like a Californian or a traveling wandering hobo, but he was, turns out he's a Californian. There's actually a cove in Laguna beach named after him unofficially called Evo Cove because it's the nudist cove in Laguna Beach that they're the he's friends with city council they might even name it officially after him Evocove Laguna Beach California so very interesting deal but he told me all this stuff and he told me about how yeah just meeting in Croatia random spot um he's looking to build a community there like you know new naturist is the term because it's not nudist it's naturist it's what we're designed to be but he said over time keeping that semen in also can it turns into some sort of natural cologne natural like perfume the scent becomes more attractive yeah it's pretty fascinating you become Whoa. more like a magnet it's pretty interesting interesting so, you become a p a p magnet for by <laughs> creating these crazy pheromones interesting interesting concept yeah. well what i learned a couple of days ago from john gray which is it was really interesting he went into this i mean it's not he's he talks about relationships and sex that's his career but I was interviewing about spirituality and meditation, which is how he got his start. And at the very end of a two and a half hour show, he just randomly starts um, going into this particular topic. And from his um, research into hormones and nutrition, 
he said that when you ejaculate, you lose, I forget what he said. I'd have to, you know, we'll listen back to it. And I don't know if this will come out before the new John Gray episode that I just did, but um, it had to do with losing all your zinc. And uh, your zinc is highly concentrated in your baby batter. And when you let it out and waste it, uh, it takes you like two days to replenish that one shot in your zinc. And your zinc is essential for producing certain neurotransmitters of dopamine or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to get the, you know, the chemistry wrong, but he's like, oh yeah, you do not want to be like watching porn, having, uh, you know, orgasms more than X amount of times a week because you're tanking your zinc and that has a cascade effect on your mood and your drive. And you know what it was? I think your zinc builds your testosterone. I think mm. that's might've been what it was. And he's like, so guys with low T, it's usually because they've jizzed too much early in life. And especially guys that had a good sizable porn habit, you know, cause on, the unnatural stimulation of porn, I mean, most guys could probably like rack out three or four times a day or more in mm -hmm. some cases, you know? Um, yeah, and Balarama, so the, the doctor I met who I mentioned this to you off air, but he's a student of one of the students of Yogananda, the author of the autobiography of a yogi. Sure. And so for anyone who happens to be in Russia or worldwide who's interested in Ayurveda, Balarama with all A's, Stanislav, he's Russian, but learned from the Ayurvedic tradition. Really amazing, amazing guy. He said it's seven weeks for that um, chi that's been expended to sort of fully, fully regenerate. Damn. So. Well, shit, we've come a long way in two years, dude. <laughs> in many ways. So let's talk about some of the other ways. So. Anyway, if you want to hear Maddie's story and a much shorter conversation about that particular topic, go back to that episode. I don't remember the number, but the title is uh, Extreme Biohacking Millennial Edition. Edition. Yeah. You can go back and you know search my feed because it Good was- clickbait. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, they, you know, I've often thought, did, 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 was that episode number one for so long because it had you know a sticky title? Or was it that it was so good that people shared it a lot and it kind of went viral? I don't, it was probably Remember a combination we were at dinner with Neil in LA and he said, oh, it must've been the title. He did? <laughs> yeah, because he, he was like, oh. he was like, even, even more downloaded than mine. He's like, oh, it must've been the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he wasn't even in the top 20, I don't think. God bless <laughs> Neil, I love you, buddy, if you ever hear this. No, Neil is actually one of my favorite guests, but um, you, know, you know what's weird about my podcast is you know, I mean, Neil, I think he's just brilliant and he's one of my literary heroes and I've learned so Absolutely. much from his books and he's just a great friend and a cool guy. Neil Strauss, we're talking about, he's been on the show a couple of times now. His last one was on parenting, but um, it's also nice to get people on that have New York Times bestselling books. I think he has nine of them or something. And I've had some other really famous people on. You know, what's really <laughs> weird though, is that when it comes to downloads, which is how you measure your metric of success as a podcaster is the number of downloads each episode gets. My highest downloads aren't the most famous people at all. And I remember in the beginning, I had Dave Asprey on my show, who's like one of the, you know, he's the godfather of biohacking and all this and very knowledgeable guy, but was, he's not even, I don't think in my, I don't know where his, I don't know where his rating is, but it's, one of my least popular shows. Yeah. Well, I and think he's the, super famous. So I, you know, it's weird. It's not really, it's not an indicator of what's going to make a hit episode. Totally. I think it's something about novelty might be more relevant. And that's why these ideas, novelty that can be understood and applied. That's like my, my theory, because that would make sense. Why what I was talking about did so well, because it was totally novel. Although Jack had spoken about it, Dr. Cruz, but plus in a way that could be understood and applied. That's where I think I, kind of 
excelled in the last right. recording. And so another thing that came from the episode, as you very well know, was that it landed me with basically a place in LA and a car to drive around from a mutual friend of ours. Pretty interesting. So someone just was interested in kind of getting me hooked up in the LA community and has that influence and ability to do so just totally sent me on my way out there. It was pretty unexpected, but that was one of the massive, massive benefits of just one podcast episode. So it goes really far. Anyhow, so yeah. So what happened after that? So you you, you come on the show, it comes out, which took a, a while it took, for yeah, it to come six out. Six months you know? or so. You were super, you had canned a lot of them ahead of time yeah. at that point. You know why too? Especially because that particular trip in New York, I think I recorded like 14 episodes. Yeah. That alone is 14 weeks worth and I already had a bunch in the can. Exactly. So after after you left New York, you know, give us like a, you know, a, a, um, a fast version of like kind of what's transpired since that first Really, episode. really good question. So I was already planning to go to Europe in about a month from that recording. I booked my flights or a month from the time I asked you. And so since that recording in the end, of, uh, when I asked you the question, it was the end of August when you did the Cat Beauty 2017. I started the business in my garage with someone tinting glasses. We never talked about the business because it didn't exist the last time we recorded. So basically the business raw optics began in my garage, tinting your glasses before the episode actually. But then, so it had started by the time we recorded a month later, but it was in its infancy. You know, people were sending me their frames to tint the lenses. And I had a, my little brother's friend tinting the glasses. Now he was well-trained, but when we had the measuring devices to make sure every pair met the specs and in a way someone like that, you know, cause they're good at listening and taking orders. And my mom was overseeing the whole thing. It was exceptional. And we stayed like that for a few months when it was still really small. Eventually we moved into a, you know, a professional optical lab to have everything produced. And we've been upgrading since then. But after we recorded like three or four days later, I flew to Europe. So I went around Europe. I met with people, some of the most, let's say interesting of which were these Qigong practitioners in Norway, one of whom was very young, well, in you know, late 20s, early 30s, teaching basically about Qigong. And he had listened to Ben Greenfield, then learned about Dr. Cruz, and then wanted to connect with me to maybe connect with Dr. Cruz and so on. So I went to Norway, hung out with him, met his Qigong master, and they started telling me about this sort of energetic meditation, which to my amazement, let's say, was revealed to me two years later almost when I was just in Bali with this Ayurvedic doctor and a pr- protocol he gave to me. And then Dr. Barry Morgellon, same same energetic meditation. So it's there's all these meditations no out there, but three individual times I've been directed to the same type of almost like source energy, Qigong type meditation. One is prana, you know, Ayurveda, Ayurvedic style, Qigong, Chinese, and then the source energy practice from Dr. Barry. But they all involve sitting still, and or standing or laying down and basically using breath and visualizing bright white light and allowing it to essentially expand to different areas. You know, Dr. Barry in the audio thing I did at his booth at the event because he was here, it focused on the light going through the heart and then eventually coming up and up. But the culmination of even the first one I learned in Norway was focusing on this energy up here around the aura And I haven't quite figured out what that really is doing, but I think, and this is step eight of the light diet, we'll get into the sort of linear progression of those, but step eight of the light diet is cultivate your inner light because we have this light inside of us. One of the things I knew before we did the last interview, although I don't know if I mentioned it, is that 
the body is a being of light. And there were these researchers in the early 1900s studying cells, trying to figure out how does life really work? And they found that the thing that makes cells divide, like, cause that's just a pretty important process. If you think about a living organism, your cells die and they need to keep dividing and so on. It's the stimulus is a release of UV light. So basically our cells emit this ultraviolet light frequencies and they basically trigger mitosis and cell division. So this to me, I have to say was very, very, very fascinating because it implied that UV light, which people think causes skin cancer, is actually a foundational piece of our biologic function. So the thing that people says causes skin cancer is the same thing that our cells are using to signal for division. So think about that for a second. Does it really cause cancer if it's so foundational that our cells emit it every time they got to divide? And our cells that are stressed, for example, when a cell, like a human cell, our building block is healthy, it doesn't leak a lot of light, it keeps it in. When it's stressed, it leaks a ton of light. And then when we die, I mentioned this story at dinner last night, we leak out pretty much all of our light and they measure this in living organisms. When, you, when a living organism is dead, it loses the ability to keep that light in and it all leaks out. So your talk, which I just glanced on the screen just by chance before I gave my talk, which gave me the perfect ending for my talk was we don't, you are not a soul. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. That was your title, right? Yeah. For your talk at this event. Yeah, so it was one of the slides. Yeah. Okay. So one of the slides. And so it turns out factually, biophysically, our cells are composed of ultraviolet light. They use it to signal, they keep it in. When we die, we leak it out. It's just like in the Bible. When we die, the soul leaves the body. People say, I can see the light, like all the lights leaking out of their cells and they're basically reconnecting to the eternal universe. So our soul is light, just like all the ancient traditions have said. And it's been biophysically proven in a book called, for those fascinated, it's a textbook, Light Shaping Life, Biophotons in Biology and Medicine. Fascinating book, compilation of all this research. So that interested me enough way back, even before we did our interview, we didn't touch too much on this spiritual stuff, but to think and realize like, if you sit and you just feel, you can just feel that's energy that you're feeling, movement of nerves and everything. And so if you channel that energy just through your consciousness and you channel it so that it's kind of in one particular spot around the top level, maybe, just maybe, it's leading to increased activation of certain parts of the brain that allow us to be more connected to the universe, like the pineal gland. And you know, there's other people who understand the mechanisms way better than I do. But to me, this was one of the really, really fascinating things that I learned about just from that initial meeting. So I was going around Europe. I was just meeting with different people, sort of trying to implement the light diet, growing my business from my computer, came back, went to Mexico, visited Dr. Cruz more, learned more, built up my business. And at one point I was feeling really lonely. I was like, you know, I've been doing this now. All my friends are in college or traveling their gap year. I'm working on my business. I'm at home in Philly. It's winter, it's cold, it's dark. I want to be around people. That's what I thought was the answer to the, what I, the way I was feeling. I went to... UC Berkeley. And I went to these other schools in Colorado just to see, would college be like an interesting thing to, to do, for example? You know, would I actually benefit from it? And I saw in that experience that all the kids in these universities are living really, really unhealthy lifestyles, like staying up late, getting pissed drunk. Everyone's on their phones all the time. People, they get so drunk, even on weeknights constantly. 
probably because they're so like depressed, their hormones are so messed up. So it was like more validation of what I had been learning about the stuff we discussed in colleges. It's a major issue. Like the number of kids in a, the average building, this is the craziest part, who are like addicted to video gaming, literally like all they do is video game, maybe a little bit of time on their work. They go to their classes. They're literally like zombies. They're video gaming all night long. Even the roommate of the kid I was visiting and crashing on his floor. So there's this kid like gaming with his headset on all night long. Dude, it's insane. Like an epidemic that's happening. Low dopamine. Low dopamine, man. Blue light toxicity, like mitochondrial dysfunction, poor sleep. It's a mess. And that's a huge issue that's going on in our society. Parents, I heard some women on the street talking like, oh yeah, you know, like they're, my son's into gaming. The other one's like, oh yeah, my son's into gaming. Well, it's kind of cool. They meet people like, and they connect and they're really good friends. And sure, like if people are meeting people and connecting, great. But the effects of this, as we discussed last time, are really harmful. Like blue light on the mitochondria is just very rough. As Wunsch probably talked about, increased free radical generation just from the light hitting our eyes and our skin leads to more mutation of the mitochondrial DNA this small amount of genes the mitochondria have to regulate energy generation leads to basically lowered energy generation, which means that it's kind of like Dr. Boros, Dr. Q gave a great analogy with deuterium, for example. I think it was in your episode where, for example, if your energy generation, let's just say your government, the government had like 5% reduction in, in income from, from taxes or 10% reduction in income from taxes, they're going to have to lay a lot of people off and cut a lot of programs because that little chunk of energy is pretty substantial. So imagine in like a human organism, you need 100 units of energy to carry out everything optimally and you reduce it just by 5%, 10% because of destroying the mitochondrial function. I mean, I would say that pretty much all of us because how we're living, myself included, are at a much lower level than we could be. But, you know, so this is the kind of stuff that I saw since we interviewed. I saw the validation of the health effects of blue light. You know, these kids are often depressed. Um, lots of students, I mean, worldwide are depressed. It's the, in fact, since we last recorded, this, the number one killer of teenagers used to be car crashes. Now it's suicide. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, not really a good thing. And so it's like, this is, people are, you know, the thing that actually- You know what fucking pisses me off is, I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, we'll continue with the story is, okay, this is a very delicate subject. Should I say this or not? Probably not, just, but I'm going to say it. it's a very delicate subject. Let me just say, I think it's quite obviously extremely tragic when people go out and shoot other people. The thing that makes that happen more is many fold, one of which being the media giving attention to it and sensationalizing it, which I think is all about taking away the second amendment ultimately. But what no one's really talking about is the suicide epidemic and the opioid crisis, both mm -hmm. of those. And not just the suicide epidemic, but the suicide epidemic amongst young people, not just the fact that it's happening, but why, what's at the root of it, right? People are dying. Yeah, and it, the, the amount of people committing suicide as compared to people, victims, sadly, of course, obviously, we don't want this to happen, of mass shootings, but I think those mass shootings and the root of the suicide are all the same problem. And the heroin and opiate. Yeah, and the opiates. Yeah, it's all opiates. the same problem. And so, you know, anyway, I have my theories. It's your interview. Dude. Kind of. It's a conversation. <laughs> it's your interview. This, this, one's more, this one's kind of a conversation more than an interview. But, um, you know, we really need to look at 
the low dopamine states and the what's what's dysregulated. Unbelievable. The I'm so glad you bring this up. Yeah, the neurotransmitters and the hormones and the endocrine system. Dude, the, it's the it's fluoride in the water. Unbelievable. You know, man. all these like, things that used to be considered like the fluoride in the water used to be like a fringe conspiracy theory to most people. And now even mainstream mainstream fake news media even admits that it's causes neurological problems and uh, pregnant women that drink fluoridated water, which by the way, pregnant women, if you drink drinks from Starbucks, if you have your kombucha, pretty much anything you drink that's made out of water, unless it's been reverse osmosis or some very aggressive filtration, you're drinking fluoridated water probably. And you're compromising the IQ, literally the IQ of your baby. Mm-hmm. So these, these pollutants and the light pollutant and the EMF pollution moving into 5G, I personally think that is the root of all of these mental disorders that culminate in suicide, opiate addiction, and in some cases, unfortunately, mass shootings. It's not caused by <laughs> guns, <laughs> okay? Just like, you know, what are we going to... Okay, everyone's committing suicide, slitting their wrists. Let's outlaw razor blades. What the fuck? How about like, let's look at why kids are so driven through trauma and pain that they don't want to be here anymore. So anyway, that's my, that's my soapbox tangent. I probably just lost Dude. a bunch of listeners, but I fundamentally believe in the constitution, A, and I believe in telling the truth and the media does not tell the truth about what the real issues are. If you want to look at statistically what's killing the most people, it's not mass shootings. It's suicide. It's the opiate crisis. Three million people die every year in the United States. Two-thirds are caused by chronic diseases, all of which are preventable, to be honest. Think about that. Doesn't mean that those people aren't going to die anyway. But do they have to die from a painful, suffering, chronic disease, which we discussed on the last episode. Doctor, This du- conversation just got really dark. <laughs> doctor, doctor. <laughs> One thing we're talking about, holding your jizz in for longevity. Next thing it's like, whoa. But hey, anyway. Hey, I don't, I don't want to be negative because for me, I've almost closed myself off from feeling emotions about these subjects because if I did, I would feel, I think, very upset a lot of the time at what's happening. You know, connecting back. In the conversation I just had with this friend who I just had lunch with, she asked about my story I told, and I got into how I was really like pretty depressed when I was 14, 15. Like basically I had no reservations with her. You know, I would eat, I was trying to fix my diet with stricter, stricter, um, my health with stricter and stricter diets. I got to a point where I was on the GAPS diet, the gut and psychology syndrome, bone broth, well-cooked meat and well-cooked vegetables only, Mac, mega gut healing. And I still felt terrible. I had mad carb cravings. Even after a couple of weeks on the diet, I didn't have energy. So something clearly was wrong where my, we just, again, we discussed this, my engines weren't working optimally. So I couldn't burn that fat for fuel because my engines were almost in sort of a cancerous transition, which is where, you know, there's the Warburg shift where cancerous or precancerous cells are more consuming carbs and sugars. That's where I was at. And that wasn't affected by the food that I was consuming, the fuel that was going in. And the analogy that's been refined over the last few years since we spoke is that the mitochondria, the engines that fuel the body, that allow us to function, that allowed us to go from being a sing- single-celled organisms to a m- being able to expand into super complex organisms, 
the engines that fueled that and still fuel our complexity each second are the mitochondria. So for example, stop breathing as a test, dead in five minutes, five, 10 minutes, because the mitochondria power everything and they use oxygen to power plus hydrogen from our food. And the issue is though, that if we have mitochondrial damage, for example, that's like having an engine in a car where the spark plugs, which are part of the ignition system. Do you know about engines? No. So in a car engine, there's- I've never touched one. Totally fine. So there's, a, there's an engine. People can look up a diagram. There's an engine and there's these things called spark plugs that are timed by the ignition system. And they basically use a, a sort of spark to ignite the fuel in the, in the chamber, which causes the pistons to fire and the piston movement basically spins the wheel, which gets the car moving essentially. That's simplified version. But so if, we, if in that car- there were a problem in the ignition system, in the spark plugs that are allowing the pistons to fire and sink and in time, what would happen if we put in premium fuel instead of regular fuel, if the spark plugs in the ignition system are fucked up? It isn't going to fix, obviously it isn't going to fix the broken ignition system. But so the whole idea, the whole reason why the diet focus is is essentially absurd for curing the modern mitochondrial, the modern diseases we're having is because we're trying to fix an issue in our body, which is not caused by the fuel with better fuel. And so it can definitely alleviate the symptoms, but still people say food is solving the root cause. It is not solving the root cause. Absolutely not. In that engine, put in premium gas, the car is still going to have, the the pistons are going to misfire the engine's going to putter or sputter, whatever the term is. The car isn't going to, it's not going to be able to accelerate and there's going to be a whole bunch of problems essentially. So the same thing in the body, like if you try to fix that broken engine with the broken spark plugs, broken ignition system with fuel additives or with premium fuel, it's not going to fix the broken spark plugs, the broken ignition system, which is damaging the ability to burn all that good fuel that's going in. Same thing in the mitochondria that power our whole organism, which if they don't work, we die. And if their function declines, we have diseases. There's issues in the proteins and the systems that are channeling all the energy through them, like the fuel coming in, but it isn't the fuel that's causing the problem. Again, shitty fuel isn't optimal, obviously, and better fuel is better. But if the issues in the ignition system, in the spark plugs of our mitochondria, then fuel isn't going to fix it. And we, you know this because you talk with the Winch and Jack. The thing that controls our ignition system in our cells is light. It's the full spectrum of sunlight. So for example, and it doesn't just control the mitochondria, which Dr. Doug Wallace, do you remember? Did we talk, we talked about you've Dr. Ta- Wallace? You've talked about him a lot. Yeah. Where, so, when am I going to get to interview his ass? Dude, he would be, you'd be the first podcaster ever to interview him that I'm aware of. And it would be legendary. Where's he based in Philly? Philly yeah. Hmm, so too cold. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make something happen. I don't even, I've never been there, but. Dr. Anyway, Wallace, sorry, go on. He he was studying rare mitochondrial diseases, people with these issues that were super rare, and then was wondering all these diseases that they're trying to figure out that have been exploding just during his career, the last forty years, fifty years, he'd been doing research: cancer, obesity, diabetes, Alzheimer's, autoimmune disease, infertility, 
depression, anxiety, all of the chronic diseases that they've been trying to blame on the genes, you know, and say, oh, it's genetic. Just like they were saying, oh, you know, headaches, gut issues, allergies, the things you have, that's genetic. You can't fix it. That's what medicine has been trying to do. And then, oh, the only thing you can do is use a drug because it's in your genes. You can't fix it, you know, right? He's realized that that's just a complete myth. And then in all those diseases, it's the mitochondria that aren't working well. And so again, we're trying to fix it with with drugs, definitely not working, obviously. Trying to fix it with food, and it works for some people, but you know, you, yeah, maybe have you interviewed any carnivore diet people yet? I'm working, actually, I've got um, Michaela Peterson uh, on the books at Great. some point here in the keep near in future. Mind, keep in mind that someone who does a carnivore diet, right, their body is destroyed to the extent where if they have one single piece of a spice or a plant or a fruit, anything that isn't beef, salt, and water, they feel like shit. They're, they feel trash. They feel poisoned. And people have been eating that food for the last thousands of years, plant food. doesn't mean it's our optimal diet. I'm not saying that. But so carnivore diet, people are saying, oh, eat the carnivore diet because plants are all bad for us and we're not designed to be eating them. And you know, it's su- super suboptimal. So yeah, I actually kind of get on with that. Like I think we're better off as seafood eaters or meat eaters or, you know, at least sort of mixed. But is someone really cured of their diseases if the only thing they can eat is beef, water, and salt like Michaela Peterson? And then if she eats anything besides beef, water, and salt, her immune system goes so crazy that her her joints literally start disintegrating and attacking themselves. So she needed all these replacements. I wouldn't consider that cured doesn't mean that it doesn't work and have the benefit because it obviously is. You know, she looks great. She seems healthy. She has great energy. She seems like a nice girl. I've chatted with her briefly about the light diet, but there's no cure that's going on in that case because there's this would be essentially the immune system's messed up because the mitochondria in the immune system are messed up because of a toxic disconnected lifestyle, which is primarily related to altered light spectrum because light is what drives the ignition system, the function of those mitochondria. So having sunlight makes it work. Having too much blue light messes it up and having too much EMF also messes it up. So anyone who's going to like listen to carnivore diet stuff should definitely be aware that yes, it might be an optimal diet, but if you are reacting and having horrible symptoms anytime you eat something that isn't meat, then that means that there's probably an issue in your immune system. And Yes, you might eliminate the symptoms by removing all beef and you might feel really good and you can do that the rest of your life. And I do believe that is a more optimal human diet, yes. But you shouldn't necessarily not be able to eat a plant ever again. You know, there's something off there. Or ice cream, for God's sake. Well, there you go. (laughs) Exactly. There is, you know, contrary to what the desire is, there is a lot of pleasure in eating a wide variety of food. Doesn't mean it's completely optimal. But again, the body, here's the cool part about the light diet is that People have been able to live like super centenarians, the people who live the longest, smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol. So not that we should be doing these things. Obviously, I know your background, that wouldn't be a good idea. But how's that possible? You know, people just, oh, that's an anomaly. Just disregard it. But it's actually not really an anomaly. It's pretty consistent. And there's same tons of people in all kinds of regions have been eating grains, grains. You know, you just had paleo people you're interviewing here. They've been eating grains for thousands of years and people, there have been super centenarians who have eaten grains. Again, people are like, oh, it's just an anomaly, you know? But really there's obviously other factors besides food. So 
in my belief, it is that it's the mitochondrial function that's the main driver. And if you have great mitochondrial function, then you're totally golden and you could eat grains. But the thing is in the modern world, most people actually don't, most of us don't. So for me, yeah, I'm not gonna eat a ton of grains because my mitochondrial function has been damaged so much in my childhood. Even if I do everything right for five years, I might not be able to restore it to where it was when these people were eating grains and you know plants plus meat and fish, whatever else, and living really long, healthy lives. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. The podcast you're listening to right now is made possible in part by my friends over at Juve. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while or following me on social media, you've probably seen me using red light therapy or at least talking about it. It's something that's technically referred to as photobiomodulation, and it's arguably the most well-researched biohack that I currently use. Seriously, there's over 3,000 published clinical papers on light therapy. What's even more compelling is that over 200 of them are double-blinded, randomized, and placebo-controlled. In short, that means that they've been proven to work. So some of the benefits include improved skin health, increased muscle recovery, better sexual performance, and reduced joint pain and inflammation. So you can see why I'm such a big fan of the red light therapy. And that's why all my friends now come over to my house on a regular basis wanting to use my Juve device. So that's my favorite current application. And if you want to check it out, you can go to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. And if you enter the code Luke at checkout, you're going to receive a free gift. So as I said, this is one of my favorite biohacks. It feels good. It's fast. It's easy. It's something you can stack with other modalities. Red light therapy is the future. And you can find out all about it at juve.com forward slash Luke. And now back to the interview. How does the mitochondrial piece uh, tie into the epidemic of opioids and suicide? Yeah. And for that matter, crazy shooters and fucking nuts. It's likely from my understanding and research that in the brain, the mitochondrial dysfunction is tremendously damaged. And Dr. Wallace as part of his research on mitochondria, and again, I would be epic if you interviewed him, epic. I've been meaning to bring that suggestion about, but I was thinking about doing my own podcast, so I actually wanted to be the first one to interview him because I know it's going to be legendary, but just like with the deuterium guys, I will put it on the record that I <laughs> referred you to them and that you know you can have the honor of being the first so the world, you, can get, <laughs> the world can get the interview sooner Good than out. two years down the road when I might have a podcast. You keep protecting <laughs> eyes and I'll keep filling ears. There we go, perfect. We've got our niche. But um, so he has shown, they have found that in, or at least based on the evidence, uh, very clearly linked that there is a component of mitochondrial dysfunction in the brain in anxiety and depression. So the mitochondria in the brain are specifically afflicted and that leads to dysfunction of the brain. And so things like anxiety and depression come about. Now, I would be very inclined to also put it more towards what you and Dr. Wunsch may have spoken about, which is light, you know, and how sunlight, just like we evolved to use fuel in the form of chemical fuel to power our reactions. Like I'm not saying anyone can just live off of light on the light diet. We can use hydrogen and oxygen, which is what we generally do. And that's how we power our existence. Essentially there's sunlight energy stored in the bonds of the hydrogen. And then when it reacts with oxygen in our mitochondria, and we drain and we suck the, ele- the energy off that, those hydrogen's electrons, basically. Then 
we have energy and power our life. So in other words, when life was simpler, it could have maybe just lived off of sunlight or just basic reactions of chemicals from what was around it. But then as life was growing, it became dandy to be able to consume another living organism instead of just inorganic chemicals around us. Because then that organism that we're consuming has spent like, for example, a banana that spent a whole season assimilating sunlight. So we have the benefit of being able to get a whole season of sunlight or in the case of meat, like years worth of assimilating energy essentially into a very compact plate. So that's one of the things that powered more complex evolution. So fuel for a complex organism like us is critical. Food is critical. That's the point. But we have a tons of systems. The first that's super obvious and the best example because people know it is vitamin D. Like you can eat good food all day long, but it doesn't give you the, like the ATP energy that we're making from the food we're eating to do all kinds of certain things. Doesn't give us the frequencies we need to make vitamin D. So like we can have, I'm using my hands here, like on one side of the table, we have food, which powers like generally a lot of things, including our consciousness, wakefulness, being alive, and a lot of reactions in the cells. But there's a ton of other things in addition to vitamin D. It's just one of the ones everyone knows that are directly powered by the sun's light. So we have indirect via food and direct via sun. And so because the sun has such a huge spectrum of frequencies, there's like the body can be like, oh, we're going to use uh, this wavelength, like 293 or 313. I forget. I think it's 293, somewhere around there for vitamin D synthesis. We're going to use that for vitamin D synthesis. And then, oh, 314, we're going to use that for this. And then this we're going to use for that. And so literally, like we have a whole massive amount of energy in the sun that we could use to do all kinds of biologic functions. And the research from some of the books I've read since we last spoke makes it clear that there are certain enzymes. They're function is increased 500%. So five times just by being exposed to certain frequencies of light, like the red light people are taking mega advantage of this because other of the frequencies in the infrared side of the spectrum. So this is another less known example in 660 and 880 nanometers. We have these cytochromes, which are like light absorbing proteins in the mitochondria where those electrons are hopping across the chain while the energy is being sucked out of them. The ones that come from the food and their function is massively improved by light shining onto them. So it's like, it's exactly like I described. There's the fuel going into the car's engine, but there's the spark plugs, which are making the pistons fire. And those spark plugs are controlled by the light. So when you're standing in your red light juve, just like with your balls out and just getting the sun on your dick and just having fun and feeling great, it's, there's all <laughs> this red, these frequencies that are making your engines just like, like the pistons are, it's just so much better. The best example of this, have you interviewed Sachin Panda? That's a must, no. super mega must. You know Sachin Panda? No. Man, that's a cool me? name. He's the circadian rhythm researcher who's like the bomb. He's in, in San Diego. Oh, really? Absolute must. Yeah, 100% must. He's pretty well known now in the sleep field. Basically, I'm surprised you don't know about him. He's huge, big name. So Dr. Wallace, Sash and Panda come from this. Guys, when you hear about those episodes, remember, I told Luke, because he's going to take credit. He'll forget. Trust me. Yeah, I'll be like, <laughs> so based on my research, I found a man named Sash Panda. <laughs> So basically what happened here was he, they're studying, I can't believe you don't know about them. Oh, dude. It's fascinating. I'm just giving you a hard time, bro. You know, I love I you. I sit around doing Kundalini yoga. I'm a hippie. I don't have time to find people. Sachin no. Panda is the man. So, and I don't even know him personally, but what they found, he's been studying circadian rhythms like forever. Jack's a big fan of his. 
basically what they showed, he's a big proponent of time-restricted eating, so eating within a certain window. So they were wondering, because of the activity of the mitochondria, our engines and our general metabolism, which the mitochondria are one of the biggest pieces of, controlled by light, because of that activity, which is governed by the circadian rhythm, this ongoing 24-hour cycle that happens within us constantly, no matter what we do, except when we, you know, well, based on our light exposure triggering it, he's wondering, could eating food at different times of day have different effects? So what they did with mice who are nocturnal, they fed them healthy food when their circadian rhythm dictates that the engines are turning off. And then they fed them shitty food when the circadian rhythm dictates that their engines are turning on. And what would you believe the result was? I bet they did better with the shitty food at the right time than the good food at the wrong time. I wish I had a prize for you because <laughs> if I did, you would win it. But that's exactly what happened. How about so the, a pair of raw optics glasses? <laughs> oh, bro, we got you covered. So if so, what happened, literally the mice that were fed shitty food in the time when their engines were like burning through it like bang because they're supposed to be on, they were totally healthy. And the en- the mice that had the shitty, the, the healthy food when their engines were like, because we're trying to sleep, were metabolically damaged, messed up and blah, blah, blah. So basically it implies that all the people who are doing fasting and not eating anything until like late in the evening, you know, they'll fast all day and eat like after six or 7 p.m. Sure, there's a huge benefit from fasting all day, but you're also creating a, you're like totally basically eliminating some of the benefits really like it's just poorly used energy. Like you could just eat one big breakfast and then fast the rest of the day from there, which is actually seemingly harder, but still better because then you're getting that food and nutrients when the engines are powered and charged and then you're not disrupting the circadian rhythm. But for someone who's fasting all day, they have so little calories coming in at that point that they probably do a lot better burning through it and they're going to be healthier overall because they're just basically, you know, fasting when you're not eating food, you're burning your fat. And so instead of, eating food, again, burning your own fat, that's deuterium depleted fat that we've stored onto ourselves generally, unless we're just always eating sugar and grains. So when we burn that fat, we're making deuterium depleted water in the mitochondria. So it's basically just like being ketogenic all the time or low deuterium. So that's super beneficial. So those people probably get off a little bit better because they're not eating generally. But where it kills is like, imagine someone wakes up, they have a light breakfast or whatever breakfast they normally have. They go to, you know, they have a snack, they eat again, lunch, another snack, eat, like, but then they get back from work and they eat dinner at like 8 p.m. They've already eaten all day and they're eating again at like 8 p.m. So their engines are trying to stay at burning it, but they're not effectively doing so. So they're just packing on all this weight basically as fat because they just can't burn through it. That's like the, if I had to give a protocol, like how to gain weight, and I think a lot of people are gonna be like, shit, it would be stay up after the sun goes down with artificial lights on you and eat after the sun goes down late and do this on a regular basis, eat after the sun goes down and you will absolutely certainly gain weight. But if you just eat a big breakfast and stimulate your metabolism or eating your majority of your calories in the middle of the day, and then you cut it after before 5 p.m. because then you have about four hours till sleep so you can fully digest. But even earlier, I think is better, 3 p.m. But you know, the Ayurvedic doctor I worked with said from the ancient traditions, 5 p.m. is a pretty good bench line. Then you probably won't be gaining more weight generally speaking, um, you know, unless you live in toxic blue light and that's your office all the time and you never get sun, then no matter what, you're going to be starving your brain. Cause that's another thing is like people who are fat, obese, overweight, fat doesn't sound nice, but you know, so anyway, um, they're 
actually don't have an excess of energy, which is a theory. They have a mega, mega, mega lack of energy in the brain. And so the brain is just like, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more food. And so, but the body, because the engines are so toast, it will never be able to burn through it effectively. So it's just more fat, more fat, more fat, more fat. Dr. Cruz got famous for writing about this. It's called leptin sensitivity. When the brain's energy accountant center, the leptin receptor in the hypothalamus, basically the fat cells are sending up the signal constantly. Like we have enough, we have enough, we have enough, but it's called leptin resistance. Again, fat cells make this hormone called leptin to signal to the brain, like we're good. But, and that keeps us like, um, I'm not hungry, I'm full. But if the brain has been damaged constantly by all this blue light, lack of sunlight, then it's like, we need more, we need more, we need more, we're starving. And so it isn't ever listening to the leptin signal. So that's literally how someone gets fat. It's Holy super easy. It's so, so being easy. Exposed, exposed to fake junk light, blue light at night makes you fat and that's yeah, how it does it's it. It's super, super simple. Like it, again, it disrupts I the I always wonder that because I've heard people talk about that. And I'm like, what? Like, what is it? I don't get it. But just think about it. Like you're putting in people who are overweight. They're, again, it's not like, these are any less people. Of course, obviously these are people who are struggling from lack of this knowledge, but you're putting in fuel and it's like someone who's overweight, like they're eating a ton of food. Cause you know, like, and people know like though someone who's overweight, like they really, they like their sugar. They like their carbs. You know, they want to eat a lot of that generally. And again, it's because the mitochondria are damaged and the body is starving. You know, I don't have the mechanisms a hundred percent lined out, but essentially it's like the engines can't burn through whatever's coming in effectively. So it's like, you're putting in a ton of food, but the body just shun, you know, insulin, because that's what puts sugars into the fat cells. Insulin is just putting it in the fat, putting the, the food you eat in the fat, putting it in the fat, but that person never feels fully satiated. So they just kind of keep eating because the engines are really not good at burning into that. And the other issue, so not only are the engines totally bad at burning the carbs that the, you know, the person's eating and burning the food. So it's being packed on as fat, but also that the person, there's mitochondrial damage going on in that case. And so because the mitochondria are damaged and the leptin whole signal is damaged, the brain's hormone balancing systems are damaged, that person can never tap into their own fat stores to burn off their fat. So it's like they finish their carb high from one meal and they can't tap into what they already got, which is how we're designed to do. Because you know, like let's say you eat like a banana. Generally speaking, you're not gonna burn that whole banana on the spot unless you've been exercising Generally, you're going to pack on some of it as fat. But what you can do if everything's working properly, you just literally eat the banana or whatever meal you have. And then after the, after the, the blood sugar spike and you're done burning the sugar from your blood is over, then you just tap into your fat and you start burning what was stored as fat. And then you're good for like eight, 10 hours until the next meal or whatever, because we're designed to not be eating all that. Like imagine a wild human, like would wild humans be eating three meals a day, two meals a day, like. I would presume not, you know, but we can two, three meals a day. But again, that's two, three meals a day. Most people who are overweight are eating more than two, three meals a day. They're eating lots of snacks and they're eating mostly refined carbs and sugars. So again, someone who's overweight, they put in all these carbs and sugars, their body burns through what's in the bloodstream. But then once it's burned through most of it and stored the rest as fat, they don't tap into the fat that they've stored and just burn that till the next meal. They need the next hit. And then you're toast, you're packing it on and you can never tap into it. So that's like obesity, Weight gain 101. How do you fix it? 
light diet. <laughs> the light diet. <laughs> My voice is shot. The light diet. That's the answer. <laughs> you were you were trying to be like light diet. Light diet. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. That was a mega fail. Oh, that's funny. We got. I don't it. know we if that was it. quite a. That wasn't quite a voice crack. That would be really embarrassing yeah. if it were. The light diet. <laughs> I like that one. Too. The teenager on I've the Simpsons. Yeah. The teenager on the Simpsons. I was like, excuse me, sir. <laughs> voice cracks. So. Oh man, so much, so much stuff to unpack there. Um, you know, one thing I didn't actually ask Alexander Wunsch that was on my notes, but I had so many notes. And are it was you just, just, are you about to down that butter straight up? Yeah, dog. As soon Dude, as you're talking again, someone told me that when you go to Antarctica, if you're hiking or anything, because there's nowhere to buy food, obviously, unless you're a researcher at the main cafeteria, you have to pack in your own food, obviously, because again, nowhere to buy it. Yeah, and you just have to bring butter because calorie for calorie, it's the most energy dense. Oh and wow. My friend, Ryan Carter, who I think you might've acquainted with at this event, really cool dude. He runs a Live Vitae Instagram account with all food and he's talking about light now. Um, he showed me a study this morning, which Boros talked about as well. You have the fat. If you eat a certain amount of fat, you'll make a hundred um, like grams or whatever of deuterium depleted water or one gram of fat. It's like 1.1 grams of deuterium depleted water. If you have the car, same amount of carbs, you're having half of that made as water. So Bor- what Bor- Dr. Boris and them mentioned, when you're eating fats, you're making more water. It's true. It's much more energy dense. There's more hydrogen. You got butter all up on your beard, dude. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> Guys, Luke's chomping off from a butter stick right it's now. It's going to be an awesome YouTube video. Just to be clear. Here I am just like- Dude, when I podcast back to back like this, there's no time to eat, dog. And I just- <laughs> I man, think that's why- Get you- this man a fork. Well, my last guest- um, because they knew I was back to back recording today. She said, do you want me to bring you any food? I was like, yeah, I'm really easy. Bring me meat, fish, meat or fish and a lot of fat. So I she was going to bring you brisket, but I figured- She, she started yeah. with grass-fed beef sides, like some skirt steak or something, some avocado and a huge thing of really amazing pastured grass-fed organic butter. I was Epic. like, wow, if every guest did that, hint, hint, Matt, well, you brought glasses, <laughs> uh, I would be super stoked. Um, so lay it on but me. What I didn't ask Wunch was we covered all the light shit, like in gory detail, just excruciatingly bulbs, scientific yeah. shit. Yeah. Junk lighting and all that. And the sun a bit. But what I forgot to ask him was the exposure of the blue light on your skin. Mm. And we've talked about that, but there's like conflicting information. There was that one study where they take a blue light bulb and shine it on the back of someone's knee or some shit and it suppressed melatonin. Remember, mm-hmm. you know that study? Mm-hmm. But then other people were like, eh, it was a fake ass study. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get to ask him like, say, so I'm under the blue light right now, the, this heinous LED that's right over my head, which Wunch said lighting should Actually, never be directly overhead because in nature it never is. The sun's like very rarely right exactly, on top of yeah. you. Just so that was interesting. But um, so right now this thing's shining down on me. I've got your raw optics glasses on, which is just so much more pleasant in here. But that light's still shining down on my scalp and it's on my arms. So sometimes I'll be like all blue blocked out with the eyewear. Mm. But then I'll get up, you know, say I'm in a hotel, like not at home because I have all amber lights in my house anyway. But I'll be out somewhere and then I walk around naked under some Mm. lights. No way, no. Yeah, I'm like, fuck, am I like defeating the whole purpose of like getting it off the eyes? So what do you know about the blue light having a negative effect when it is exposed to your skin? Absolutely. This is not an area I have dug into too deeply. But what I can say is that there was a study that came out not too long ago showing that we do have melanopsin, 
which is the f- basically to make a long research period more straightforward for a, a super long time, it was well known, you know, over 150 years, it was well known that they're the rods and cones in the eyes, which were thought to be the two main photoreceptors, the only ones. But then they noticed all these effects that were going on independent of the rods and the cones. And what they would do is they would literally either mutate mice so that they didn't have, they had messed up rods and cones, or they would lacerate the optical portions of their eyes that were good for seeing, pretty messed up. But they would still have certain effects going on in their bodies without having functional vision. There was clear indications that the body could work and and the circadian rhythm could even be maintained even when the light was not coming in visually. So basically what they came to figure is there must be a third kind of photoreceptor that mediates all these other systems that are going on in the body and it must not be visual related. Eventually, so they discovered these cells called intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. And basically, eventually they found the pigment in these intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells, these third mysterious unknown receptors that modulated all of these other processes in the body, hormone production, melatonin synthesis, all this other stuff, even when they had cut the visual abilities of the animals out non-visual stuff was going on. They couldn't figure out why. So these cells, they contain a pigment because they had to have a pigment, something that could receive the light. They couldn't figure out what it was that made them photosensitive. They just called them intrinsically photosensitive. So in the late nineties, there was a researcher from the States who discovered what the pigment was. It's called melanopsin. Long story short, it's the third pigment essentially that allows us to see or the third class of photoreceptors in our eyes. And so this same pigment melanopsin that was found in first certain animals and reptiles' eyes and then in human eyes has now been located in a ton of other parts in the body, including the skin and subcutaneous fat, the fat below the skin. Are you serious? So, yeah. So Dr. Cruz, as someone, you know, an expert on light, when he learned about this, he started saying, guys, this is a huge big deal. And he made a big talk about it in Vermont in 2018 at this uh, Weston A. Price uh, Foundation event that he, speak, he would speak at the last couple of years. And he basically said, now the research is clear. People have to get their skin in the game too because there's melanopsin in the skin. So essentially, yeah, Dr. Cruz's most, for example, sick patients do cover their skin at night as well. And generally, like right now, it's the day, so I'm not as concerned about it. But at night, yeah, I do feel a little bit exposed. Now having this knowledge, when I have all my skin exposed to artificial light at night, as well as my eye, or even if my eyes are covered. So I would say that probably, again, it's really hard to say because the studies haven't been done that I'm aware of. How much does it compare? Like, is it like the eye is, you know, a hundred times more sensitive than the skin or 10 times more sensitive or whatever. It's really hard to say. I would presume because the eye is the main light receptor for the body. And in many ways, it's like the main driver for hormone function that it is a lot more sensitive through the eyes. So it's way better to block the blue from the eyes. Um, but I think it's probably smart. I mean, to, to block it from the skin. But the cool thing is as a fashion guy, you're pretty much always covered up, you know, at night, at least with pants and a sweatshirt or something like that, especially at night, LA gets cool because it's the desert. So actually there's a picture one time of you and I at Bulletproof and I was wearing my board short attire and whatnot. You were wearing pants and Jack commented like Luke wins, Matt loses (laughs) because of the research. Under the conference lighting? Mm -hmm. Well, it was actually just outside of Bulletproof. So there was lights on us and everything. Oh yeah. So 
So that's oh, kind of the deal. Out in front of the uh, labs. Out front of in labs Santa Monica. when you did your talk. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So that's what the research <laughs> yeah. indicates. It's not probably like something you need to really, really concern yourself about. However, it's there's research clear that we do have that blue light sensor pigment. And again, melanopsin isn't sensitive to the whole range of colors, kind of like the the pigments in the rods and the cone cells are for vision. It's specifically sensitive to blue light between like 420, 430 up until about 500, a little bit more nanometers. And the peak sensitivity is around 479 nanometers, which is like pretty much almost what our screens and all the lights emit. Because even, this is the cool part. The people who are innovating artificial lights in order to extend the working hours and productivity in industrial factories in the late 1800s, which was like the first main drive for artificial lighting and the biggest utility of it. Now we just use it because it's like natural for us. Very few people are working and mass, you know, past 5 p.m. in general. We're just using it because now we're conditioned to use it, even though we don't even need it. And it's actually killing us and, you know, reducing our lifespan and reducing our melatonin and mitochondrial DNA repair, which is another one of the indirect mechanisms that light affects. This is what my talk here was about. It was like the basically, you know, the whole light diet and the direct and indirect ways that light affects the, the, the ignition system. So like one of the direct ways, that red light from the sun affecting the cytochromes on the respiratory protein chain that funnels the electrons, basically same reason, it's the reason the juve works because it gives those specific proteins the, the frequencies that make them work optimally. So the engine, the mitochondria just starts kicking. An indirect way is you're exposed to light at night, that suppresses melatonin. Melatonin doesn't repair the mitochondrial DNA. So the mitochondria can't work the way they're designed to. It's, it's just a natural system that's built in to allow mitochondria to find solutions basically crappy environments. And so it's there for a reason, but we're destroying it by doing this artificial light and nice stuff. But so what was basically found naturally was if they made lights that had a little bit more blue, you know, and this wasn't till later, the earliest bulbs were actually mostly red and infrared, which probably mentioned incandescent bulbs have mostly red and infrared, less blue. But as we went on, the fluorescence they found had big spikes of blue and that activates the cortisol and ACTH, the stress hormones, which is part of what the sun activates during the day and it's designed to. So now you have sun coming up and you get one spike of cortisol in the morning, sun goes down and then you turn on all these artificial lights and you're having another spike of totally unnatural spike of cortisol going on. So basically, if we're doing that on our skin in addition to our eyes, it's probably not a good thing because that again those this all comes from that that one pigment being specifically sensitive to that range that's why artificial lights have been made in our phone screens too to be addictive because they stimulate these pathways of waking up and energy people have told me many times now in the in the last two years like when they have the red shift the red blocker which you made the sweet instagram post on everyone should check that out and follow luke too and me the light diet <laughs> um there is a much of a less of a, a tendency to be addicted to the screen because you're not getting that like hit that it gives you. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I thought it was just because the screen looks like shit when it's all dark red and Could like, be that too. It, it makes Instagram suck. But that's interesting. Yeah, it's actually not stimulating yeah. at all. So you, you pick up your phone to get that hit. I mean, of course. And, and it's like, eh. Just think about humans as little like aliens, Martians. We're just like, working through. And you see people constantly staring at this right emitter. If you were an extraterrestrial being, you would probably just perceive that this thing makes people feel good, 
I mean, we as a, a waking conscious being, like we think, oh, it's the Instagram that makes it feel good. But what is it? It's actually just beams of light coming off of a screen in certain patterns and changing. And just the beams of light, I mean, this is fascinating to think about. Like, again, what is the information from a phone coming into your brain? It's literally just beams of light displayed in certain fashions. So literally, I mean, if anyone has any doubts that beams of light affect your hormones and your brain chemistry, look at a a picture of a hot girl on Instagram, okay? That's beams of light that are structured in a certain way that you remember and it, it basically incites tremendous things going on in the body. I mean, that's one example. Or if you're a woman, you know, whoever you're attracted to, but consider that for example. Or if you're just playing a game, like again, considering humans from an extraterrestrial perspective, you're looking at this organism with literally just a light emitting metal box. And it's like all these different funky patterns and blah, 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 blah. And it's just shining all these different patterns onto the brain, creating this whole reward process. At the end of the day, it's really just light stimulating the brain's reward centers from the phone even though we think it's mess, it's messages from our friend, that gives us another different sort of hit. But really, it's this light coming off the screen that's stimulating all of these different things going on in the brain. And that's what's doing these things. So yeah. That's trippy, dude. I never thought about that. I mean, yes, again, of course, like to be clear, this is not scientifically tested and proven 100%. But if you think about it, it's pretty clear. Yes, you get a message from someone you're into. Okay, then you know there's like that connection. But just people scrolling and staring at a screen long-term, like you're just getting a bunch of this light that kind of like perks you up, you know? And then great example, actually, babies who don't have the consciousness, this is what I was looking for. Babies who don't really have quite yet the consciousness to be able to really make much of a phone screen. Literally, there's babies who like my mom and people have mentioned to me in Starbucks. I've even seen it now several times. They take the phone, and there's YouTube videos too. They take the phone away from the baby and the thing erupts. It's like crying, screaming. There's no way that a a six-month-old baby was like intellectually connected to what was going on in the screen. Okay, not that there's no way because there totally is, but my to me, it's pretty clear, again, based on the way that the blue light, which is the main base of the light on the screen, affects our dopamine systems. It gives us like a quick hit, even though it's like kind of, stealing from our reserve, if you will. The baby is getting this dope because it doesn't get any sun. It's like getting its stimulation from the blue light. But the thing is, that's like the fastest way to destroy a baby's hormones. I mean, that thing, the, the baby that's getting that will never develop even fully and properly because of just constant uh, pregnenolone steel syndrome, it's called, where there's chronic activation of cortisol via just the blue light stimulating into the eye because just blue light coming into the eye leads to stimulation of cortisol production. And that comes from a precursor called pregnenolone, which is also the precursor for testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone, our sex hormones. So if you're just always shining blue phone screen in your in your eye, it doesn't even have to be on your skin, saying make cortisol, make cortisol, wake up, wake up, wake up. But it's always going to be stealing from your reserves that's supposed to go to your sex steroid hormones. So you're going to basically be infertile because you're constantly signaling to your brain, make cortisol. Holy stealing shit. Stealing from that- the precursor from- your fucking sex, sex Damn, hormones. son. And that's true. Obviously, if you're someone that's just indoors and is like, oh, I can't be bothered to wear blue blocking glasses and I'm not going to change my light bulbs in my house. It doesn't matter. It's whatever. Yeah. Or if you just don't get the sun that also that powers because you do need the full spectrum. There's one problem with artificial light is the actual spectral component. The fact that it doesn't mimic sunlight. It has the flicker, which went into this deeply with you. So people will hear this. 
But the other problem is that you're just not in the sun. You're a living being, which for 4 billion years, or at least since the time we came to the surface of the ocean, so two, three billion years, was exposed to the full spectrum of sun that ended up creating, basically driving and powering a ton of these different reactions, which we've discussed that like the mitochondrial function, like vitamin D synthesis, but that also includes UV light breaking apart molecules like tryptophan and tyrosine, which become serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine respectively. So one problem with artificial light is that it has a messed up spectral composition. The other problem is that tricks the human body into being able to stay awake and be conscious and awake in an existence that doesn't have the full spectrum, which pretty much for all of evolution, we were designed to be getting anytime we were awake and conscious to power our wakefulness and consciousness. So just the act of you and me being in here, imagine if there were no such thing as artificial lights and we were sitting in this room, we would be asleep because we would be so tired because it would be completely pitch black, right? So these lights are allowing us, our brains to be tricked to think, oh, actually we can be awake right now but we don't have ultraviolet, infrared, and the general full spectrum powering all of the other reactions and things that are generally, how can I say, generally expected with wakefulness. And so if you think about it from the photobiomodulation, red light panels, mitochondrial side, like this light, which we're using to trick ourselves to stay awake right now when we would be in a dark building otherwise, like a cave essentially, or just nighttime more likely in nature, it's allowing us to stay awake but all throughout evolution with this wakefulness powered by this, we also would have had infrared and red light from the sun powering those mitochondria. So just the act of you and I being inside right now is lowering our function. And because we don't have that red light, which would normally be present with this. So again, we're, we're basically stealing from Peter to pay Paul maybe is the best analogy. We're tricking the brain, stay awake, be awake, be conscious but we don't have the full power behind that. And so you and I just be by being inside, we're accelerating our death right now, basically, compared to what would be if we were just sitting outside under the full spectrum. Dude, Does that make I've sense? Been, yeah, of course. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Should it's like a trick. It's a trick. It's a complete trick. Yeah. We're tricking the body to stay awake under a synth, uh, under the spectrum, which again, for all of evolution was was power, powering our, our body and and we are not under that spectrum anymore. It's expecting that and we should be having that. So like, for example, my mitochondria right now are not working as well as they would be if we were outside just because of the lack of infrared and red light. And so we're putting a, a, a burden on our body by saying, wake, power me, power me, power me, but not giving it all the things that we evolved. So that's one way of creating lowered function across time. And imagine to me, the most fascinating thing, and I gave a talk about this in Germany two months ago, was just how good we actually could function as individuals and where we're at. I mean, like imagine the potential of an individual that actually is in line with like our, you know, evolutionary abilities. And the, the three people I used in my talk were some the three top performers in their, in their industries in the world, Usain Bolt, Grew up in Jamaica, top sprinter in the world, probably outside a ton growing up in the equatorial sun. He has a skin for it too, you know, to protect him. And he's out a lot. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, arguably, and quite reasonably so, one of the two greatest soccer players of all time with Messi and there's others as well. But he grew up in Madeira, which is one of the further, further, uh, furthermost or uh, southernmost points of all of Europe, islands off the coast of Portugal, but way south, closer to like Africa in latitude. So that, and for example, Giselle, she's a white German girl whose parents moved to Brazil. So she grew up in like Brazilian light, 
probably eating pretty good food too and probably not exposed to tons of EMF when they were kids. And they're like beasts. That's, I think, what every human has the potential to be like inside from birth. And if our mom has good practices in her life because the mom, we inherit their mitochondria. So if if we get really bad mitochondria from our mom, which I kind of think I probably had some disadvantage in that situation, which is why I had the issues at such a young age, in addition to other things, being a vegetarian for so many years and so on and so on. Like that's, that's my theory. That's the thing that fascinates me is like, that's where humans I think totally can be. And even just within my life now, I'm fascinated how close could I get to those mega humans, Giselle, you know, super model, super I'd like to beautiful. get close to that mega human. Yeah, of course. Bing, bing. So um, there's exceptions. Tom Brady, he didn't, I don't think grow up. He didn't grow up in a tropical region. He's the best football player. So there's other factors, of course, but light and, and being in these optimal environments allow us to function properly and optimally. So, so dude, I came in here today in the makeshift studio at 12 o'clock and it's now eight o'clock. Yeah. I made it out for about 20 minutes to stand outside with the intention of just getting natural light in my eyes. And I'm in here all day and I've been going, but you can imagine how much extra I've had to push to be able to stay in, you know, a reasonable um, state of cognitive function to be able to keep my notes and manage the equipment and stay in a conversation. <laughs> I'm and glad pay, you've made it and pay attention and listen. But I can tell you, um, if I would have been seated on a little patio or out, you know, outdoor and a yeah, little, that's it. I, I even would, in the shade I would, doesn't yeah, have to be, be direct. I would be crushing it so much more right now, and I can tell I'm doing okay. But this is also why I've been taking the blue canatine all day, and I took some paracetam and my chaga elixir and taking all kinds of shit that I probably wouldn't even need if I was just getting the right yeah. amount of light. And I was exactly. getting, you know, as you said, that red light. Yeah. So one thing I've been doing over here, uh, primarily just to- Just to be clear, yeah, we yeah. don't even know how much the full spectrum of light influences our biology. It's clear there's a Ben Greenfield podcast that's coming out on the 21st of September that I did going through all of the research practically. So people at this- when this is released, we'll be able to go back and listen to that oh, cool. about the light diet. But basically for someone who wants to know about some of the many ways that light affects every single aspect of the body and loads of the research done, check that out because it's just like so unbelievable. And it just leads one to believe like we probably don't even have a, even a fraction of what the sun does in full, you know? So it's just like, it's clear that it powers so many things. And so to me, it's just not smart practice to remain in an indoor lifestyle at all. Yeah, but if we, if we stay in an indoor lifestyle, we end up in an indoor hospital, mm. period. Which isn't a good place to heal. Period, yeah. Yeah, even um, Florence Nightingale, keep the thought. Florence Nightingale yeah. in the late 1850s, who's this mega doctor who's well-known you know, by name, um, she wrote a quote to the tune of something like, we know that when we have a hospital, in the rooms where they're not lit well, patients will never heal. No matter how much we do, essentially patients don't heal in dark rooms. We can put heat, we can do all this, but without the, the healing of the sun's rays, they don't get well, generally speaking. And it's just fascinating. You know, They knew that way back then. Yeah, that's hella trippy, dude. Well, one thing I've been doing on this trip, and I want to get, you know, kind of circle back around to your travels because that was almost like, 
your version of autobiography of a yogi, it sounds like you, you've traveled around and met all these key players that synchronistically have added pieces of the puzzle to help you build your, your knowledge base, which is trippy. But yeah, the, into the light diet. Yeah, but on the travel tip, uh, one thing I did this time because I really, really wanted to hack jet lag because I had to come perform at, for me, what would be a really high level right after landing within a couple of days, you know, being the MC, doing a talk, recording podcasts, a pretty demanding schedule. Absolutely. I, I can't, I'm impressed. I couldn't, I couldn't afford to have jet lag. So what I did this time is I got this product. Someone just emailed me, I think, and I'm so sorry. I mean, email, see, see, I'm losing it now. <laughs> losing my sharpness. Someone emailed me and said, Hey, we make this light device product, blah, blah, blah. You, maybe we want to run ads on the show or put it in your site store. And I was like, I didn't even look at what it was. I just told my assistant, cool, like have him send it. I think it's called a Verilux and it's a little LED panel of full, like kind of looks like an iPad, but there's nothing on it except it's really bright, what looks like blue, white light, but it's actually full spectrum light. And um, it's used for seasonal affective disorder. So it's like the equivalent of going out into the sun, basically. And if you sit close mm. enough, it's quite Be bright. Be careful <laughs> comparing artificial <laughs> well, yeah, lights I mean, to the sun. You know, when you don't have sun, okay? Kind yeah. of like the human charger, you know, you're, mm. you're shining like blue light onto your brain because you there is no sun mm. as a means by which to trick yourself into a different time zone. Yeah, I'm skeptical of, of that, but... All right, well, listen, yeah. you haven't heard the whole fucking story yet, <laughs> So, So I bring that and I bring my little juve go... The red light. And so in the morning, what I've done every morning is wake up really early. Well, it's, you know, really early for me is like seven. And the first thing I do is just crank both of those up. Uh, the red kind of more directly in my face and then the the blue full spectrum one over here. And I the interesting thing mm -hmm. is I've tested the flicker on the Verilux thing, if I'm getting the name right. No flicker, which is weird. I'm like, how did they do that? All, it's I definitely like, possible, yeah. Oh, it is? Yeah. I, I think it's possible. Because I was like, yeah, I'm not going to look at it if it's, if it's got flicker. I'm not into it, but it doesn't. And I got to say, dude, I think it really, really helped my jet lag to get that kind of fake sunrise light in the morning, like more red with a little blue on the side. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like hacking the sun horribly, as you indicated, but it really fucking helped, dude. I adjusted to the time zone really fast to where... Even the first night I was here, I fell asleep at, you know, 11.30 or whatever. Great. Woke up at 7. And I didn't feel jet lag at all. I was a little tired just from travel and stuff. Yeah. But that like real brain foggy, like sleepy in the middle of the day, like that technical jet lag feeling has not existed at all. And I came here and just absolutely slayed. I would say in in extreme cases, like the one of flying across an ocean in a, in a you know, 10 hour period like you did, it isn't necessarily a bad idea to do that. But the key that I would want to be clear for a listener is that, again, we simply don't know what frequencies that aren't in the, in the Juve panel, you know, and aren't in the Verilux, particularly, I mean, ultraviolet is one that's definitely not there, but that wouldn't normally be there at sunrise anyway. But there's, there's certain frequencies from the sunrise that won't be in those lights. It's just inevitable because they're not full spectrum completely and they're not mimicking the sunrise exactly. You know, the, the Verilux is more like a midday light based on what you've described, a more blue, white color. The Juve is more like a sunset light, sunrise with mostly red. So, you know, and the thing in the sunrise is that the blue comes up in like a, a fashion that is, has been the same for the last several Million, billions of years, like the blue slowly rises practically at the same rate and the variation throughout the seasons of the blue rising practically at the same rate 
probably signals to our brain what season it is. And in the summer, we're more fertile. In the winter, we're less fertile. Like it's, it's really finely tuned. So personally, I would, I would never do that with the Verilux or I think the red light side of things is, unless I learned some research that was more compelling about it. But at this point, having read about it, I'm very skeptical of those particular bright panels. The, the red panels actually, you know, I like the Juve guys and also other red light companies. I think those are much safer because they're just basically hooking you up with specific frequencies that have been shown to improve the mitochondria. As long as the panels don't have tons of flicker, I'll use those just a bit, you know? Um, and I think the, any negative effects would be relatively minima, minimal and the benefits seem to be pretty strong. You mean so, the flicker being the, the only, that's potential the only downside risk. I yeah. can see. But the other downside is like, you could go out and lay naked in the sun, even if it's cloudy and get the full spectrum on your skin and your eyes, not naked, but maybe with just shorts on or you're behind a juve. So it's like, yes, it's, it's a hack for people who don't have the option to go outside. But like, if you can go outside and have your skin exposed to the full spectrum of the sun, I would hundred percent, 10 times out of 10, pick it over any artificial setup. And even here, like what I do is I literally just open the window in the morning and I just look at the sky, even if I'm not looking directly at the sunrise. So to me, I, I'm almost thinking the question like, yeah, why wouldn't you just open your window and just look out at the gray, blue, whatever color it may be. The buildings reflect some of the gold of the light of the sunrise. If you're not able to look right at it, which is better, you know, like even Dr. Chris Shade, after you less, left uh, last night, actually, he was telling Tim and I and Sim stayed literally talking with him for two more hours. It was like 12 once we left. So, oh, so really? Started, it was an epic, 1230. See, and I he, always am afraid I'm going to, I stayed way later than uh, I want to because I'm afraid I'm going to miss some key information. No, nah, well, I can just re regurgitate the key. To me, the most key parts. He said that long ago when he studied with certain masters of sorts, um, the, he learned that the two like mega most important protocols, I forget the term he used to describe them, but mega, mega important such that he couldn't even share them publicly based on the mandates of these masters were sun gazing and sky gazing. What? Yeah, sun gazing, sky gazing. Damn. So like sun gazing is known, you know, people who sun gaze, they've measured their pineal glands are way bigger. Imagine like the pineal gland, not only is it the cross section of the pineal gland is the raw logo, the eye of the eye of Horus. Um, that's like the Egyptians knew that that, that, third eye that people have is basically the pineal gland. So they knew that. And the pineal gland is considered the third eye and it's also the producer of melatonin. So if your pineal gland is way bigger from sun gazing, which is what at least some evidence indicates from a couple, granted they are sort of anecdotes, but imagine how much higher your consciousness would be if your pineal gland is bigger. So sun gazing seems to be hugely good. And the Ayurvedic doctor who I have been meeting and discussing with also said it's really good for the eyes, for people who have eye problems. That would be like, if I had any prescription, I'd be sun gazing sunrise and sunset an hour each day or 30 minutes, depending on if it's the summer and it's stronger. And I think I'd be able to fix eye problems like this. Also with not wearing glasses, you know, trying to exercise the eyes. Um, depends how long you've had it, but anyhow, yeah. So Verilux and Juve com combination, maybe in a pinch, great, but just I would open the window and then have the full spectrum coming in. And if you want to still do the Verilux and the Juve with the full spectrum coming in from the outdoors, then I think it's way less risky. That's what risky. I was doing to be clear. So I'm awesome. Let's yeah, just settle so down. exactly. There you go. Uh, <laughs> settled, <laughs> settled. Uh, what did I want to do next? Oh, I mean, it's hard. It's hard not to overlap kind of with thing. the yeah. It's hard. It's hard not to overlap with the Alexander Wunsch. And again, I don't know which one's going to come first. Oh, but we can keep at it. As we said earlier, this is such an important topic to cover. 
A and B, people need to really be hammered over the head to like get something straight. And to me, this light thing is like, I mean, as we discussed in the beginning, it just, it trumps diet in such a major way because of the mitochondria and everything that you described. And I'm just like, God, I just feel like I want to go around and like shake people like, dude, wake the fuck up. Like people just don't get it. So I'm going to go ahead and repeat something that they may have heard. Tell us what happens because- Okay, when you go look at a new house, they'll be like, oh, it has tons of natural light. No, it doesn't. Those are windows. So talk Mm -hmm. to us about what sunglasses, contacts, and being behind glass does. So glass, and Dr. Wunsch said this so beautifully in his talk actually as well. When we have glass because of code for building and environmental reasons, they're designed to filter out the near-infrared portion of the sun and a lot of the infrared portion because it'll make a building too hot, so you have to run more AC generally. So they filter that out. But these are the frequencies that, like we've discussed, the mitochondria use to be charged. So anytime you're behind that light and you're like, oh, it's basically full-spectrum sunlight and I'm awake and it's you know driving my biology and it's not as bad as the other lights because it doesn't have as much flicker per se, but you don't have that infrared that's powering up the mitochondria. So you're basically creating more cortisol from the blue, stressing the body to be awake and functioning, but you're not giving it the juice to function properly. So you're, we're basically just stealing from our, essentially, you know, I haven't quite figured out what we're stealing from, but it's, it's essentially, actually, no, it's, it's the, from the mitochondrial function. The cells by by the fact of being exposed, this is so beautiful because these pieces come together, even just in my mind from repeating them enough times, we're lacking red, which makes the mitochondria function at their optimal energy generation level. Let's just be clear, optimal or Gucci, totally good with the red and the blue, the full spectrum. You cut the red, you leave the blue, so the body's mitochondrial function is going down. And like we discussed in the case of the evolutionary effect of mitochondria, because we discussed this in our other episode way long ago, I got to stop saying that because we discussed everything practically then. But the cells, there's a whole cell, like a whole organism. But then there's thousands of, or hundreds up to a thousand of these mitochondria in a single cell. So like you scratch off, I just scratched off probably a million cells or something, you know, insane amount of cells just from scratching. And then each of those tiny little cells each has hundreds of mitochondria. So in the lifetime of one cell, it might be you know, I don't know, let's just say a day. I actually have no idea how long a cell lives. I should definitely know that. But then a mitochondria within the lifetime of that one cell, there's so much, so much turnover. So for, in terms of, if you had to adjust to a a new environment, a new situation as an evolving organism, would it be better to have the nuclear genes, which there's one set of those main nuclear genes, nucleus genes, DNA, which is what people think of as DNA in one whole cell, or would it be better to have that adjust versus the mitochondrial genes adjusting of which there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and they're turning over way faster. Naturally, of course, life uses the mitochondrial genes um, as, as a faster way to have evolution occur as far as energy goes. It won't change your eye color maybe per se super quickly, although my eye colors have changed since getting more sun. They've gone from brown to lighter to let more light in. So uh, presumably, um, so like brown, pretty brown, brown for sure to where it's like definitely hazel, you know, definitively probably need to change on my driver's license eventually. But anyhow, um, so we don't want to have basically toxic light that is disrupting the process of the mitochondria. And because what that's doing is that's creating 
more generation of these free radicals because when we have, again, less red, infrared too, which is what the juve and these devices provide, but also the full spectrum sun does the best of, then we have more blue and so lowered mitochondrial energy generation, which is what this guy, Dr. Wallace, who I hope you interview very soon has found, that leads to massive increase of this reactive oxygen species, these super inflammatory molecules, which are generally signaling molecules, which is normal and good, and that's why eating insane amounts of antioxidants isn't necessarily a good idea. And anti- antioxidants will never fix this problem, just to be clear, everyone, because the fundamental issue is there. Um, and just, you know, you're going to create more antioxidants or <laughs> reactive oxygen species. And that those mutate the mitochondrial DNA, which lead to the dysfunction in the mitochondrial, let's say, ignition system, that which we've been talking about from the beginning. So being just behind a window, lowering mitochondrial energy production, increasing reactive oxygen species to try to mutate the mitochondrial DNA set to try to figure out a solution to the altered environment. The best example, because I haven't given an analogy, which I usually do to make these things more understandable. You're a human. You migrate to the tops of the Himalayas. You have way less oxygen now per square meter of air because it's way less dense. The percentage is still the same, but it's way less dense. So there's just less of it in the average, in the same amount of space. But your mitochondria use oxygen to work. So every breath you take has like half as much oxygen. So like your mitochondria are screaming. Tons of reactive oxygen species leads to mutation of the mitochondrial genes such that over even just a couple generations, people who live at high altitudes like the Sherpas and the, and the Mount Everest and so on, they are able to have mutations now in their mitochondrial genes where they're able to make very high amounts of energy with way less oxygen. Epic. That's basically how it happens. So now we're going inside. So our bodies are actually looking for solutions. How can we function better with more blue light, less red light? And essentially what's actually just happening is because again, we're lacking, we're lacking the, you know, the Sherpas were able to find a solution related to the fact that they have more UV light higher up when they have less oxygen, something along those lines. But we don't really have, like, we're just draining our energy supply. Like imagine life is something that's powered by energy. And so like you go somewhere and in nature generally, like if you don't have the energy to supply it, people would probably never live in that place, A, um, or B, like um, maybe be like slightly lower functioning versions of that human. So today, again, as we're powered by like, like energy too, we go to a place that has less energy for us to function at our top level. Of Like we could try to find solutions, but like really- we're just going to have to def cut, cut programs like in the government system, like we've discussed, like cutting the programs. And that means the immune system doesn't work properly. The brain doesn't work properly. We're depressed. Like uh, we can't clear the plaques out. So we get Alzheimer's. The, the, um, the, you know, the arteries are all messed up and there's all these uh, cholesterol going to try to repair them. And then we get these clots and people say it's because of cholesterol when cholesterol is just going there to try to fix the problem that we're creating, you know, through our modern toxic lifestyle. So, yeah, windows, no bueno. Just and, to be and clear, same for windows wearing, lead to de-evolution. That's what and I'm saying. Same for wearing sunglasses. Same with sunglasses. Same with contacts. Contacts are also really bad because they reduce oxygen. The cornea, the surface of the eye, is the only part of the body, but that it, it's on top of the lens. It's the top tippity top, only part of the body that breathes from the air directly. Oh shit! So if I you put contacts that. on, and they know this, they make them permeable to oxygen, but you never make them permeable enough to oxygen. So, you know, it's, it's never going to match what it was. So like the, there's increased reactive oxygen species generation in those mitochondria, in those cells, in the cornea, which means they're mutating the mitochondrial DNA, which means they're having to basically the, the lowered energy production, um, 
let lowered function. And then this, like, you know, the cells are going to turn over faster, wear out the supply of cells that's maybe stem cells that's, you know, again, part of this is rock hard science that the blue light increases reactive oxygen species. Red light makes the mitochondria function better, contacts lower oxygen. And then, so it's in just a natural clear progression. When you do these things, it's leading to increased aging um, or sped up aging, accelerated aging of those cells, faster turnover, which presumably, I mean, the new cells are coming from somewhere. They're wearing away from stem cell supply. They're taking lots of energy to remake them. And so like people who have um, vision problems wearing contacts, I would presume need stronger prescriptions a lot faster than people who wear glasses generally, right. depending on how much time you spend indoors or outdoors. I know because my brother and sister both have contacts, their prescriptions get stronger as time goes on. They're not doing this stuff at the moment, maybe eventually. So yeah, that's a problem with contacts. Sunglasses also distort the spectrum by cutting out the UV. So it's similar, like the uh, these frequencies, even though only a tiny, tiny bit of UV gets through the eyes, it's still enough where this researcher back in the 60s, Dr. John Ott, who's one of Wunsch's like, let's say mentors and teachers, inspirations probably as well. He showed very clearly that um, there's the the chlorophyll cells, chloro, chloro, uh, chloroplasts, the little things in, in plant cells that make them green and basically generate the sugar, you know, from the sun directly. When the light with UV and the full spectrum is shown on them, the pigment granules in it spin all, they, they do a full loop of the cell and they're moving very effectively. And essentially what he determined from that is that it means that they're being powered properly. They're assimilating all the energy and everything's moving the way it needs to. And when they would filter the light with like these filters and changing the color, the the chlor the, the pigment granules of chlorophyll would basically um, take shortcuts through the path and they would like slow down. And it was clear that the function was diminished of the cells. And then it turns out that in our eye, we have cells called retinal pigmental epithelial cells. And these look almost identical to chlorophyll cells or chlorophyll. Whoa. Yeah. And so basically, and they're inside of them, there's um, these pigment granules called melanin pigments, which are for absorbing UV light. Same thing happened when we filtered out the light, when they filtered out the light in the experiments, these were from a bunny rabbit's eyes, which are also like pretty close to us compared to plants. Um, and, and when they sh filtered the light, it reduced the spinning, the speed of these melanin pigment granules, basically the activity of the cell, it reduced the function and activity of the cell. And, you know, certain cut, cutting out certain frequencies, particularly UV, really reduce the activity of the cell because we're designed to be powered by the full spectrum of light. We've taken advantage of it. It literally gave us the energy to become like com more complex organisms. So to, to, to go ahead and say that it's like toxic and causes cancer is absurd. I, in, the, in the Ben Greenfield episode, I went really deep into the history of sun and skin cancer. I know a lot more about that than I did in the last episode. And essentially it's pretty simple. Like too much sun, too much UV is definitely bad. Burning... Uh, and so on, excess exposure, people who work outdoors and can never get in the shade at the right times when their body would naturally do that, that will lead to leathery skin, wrinkles, and so on. But natural healthy exposure won't only very very likely improve the quality, the color of skin, less acne, that kind of thing, but also it'll reduce your risk of diabetes. Not just reduce your risk, but if you're doing this whole properly, potentially even eliminate the risk but I can't say that for sure. And I'm not a medical doctor naturally. So these are just, none of this is medical advice, just inf informational. But, you know, pretty much there's evidence showing that we've discussed and Dr. Cruz is all about this too, that when you're exposed to sun via all these mechanisms, you reduce your happening of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, 
Alzheimer's and autoimmune disease and so on because it's improving mitochondrial function with the full spectrum of light and so on. So when someone says, oh, I don't want to go in the sun, I don't want to get wrinkles, it's like, okay, it's basically saying, I value not getting wrinkles more than I value not getting cancer. But the thing is, it's not even accurate because it's based on the false premise that the sun always causes wrinkles. It's pretty much just absurd. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. I learned over 20 years ago how important it is to have a symbiotic relationship between all the bacteria in your gut. And then what your gut is jacked up from taking antibiotics, eating GMOs, pesticides, etc., you get something called dysbiosis or leaky gut. That's when you have an imbalance of all the bacteria. So a lot of us are hearing about fermented foods and probiotics now, right? Well, I was taking probiotics years ago. And to be honest, out of all the ones I've taken, most of them sucked and didn't really help at all. And I think I was probably just eating sand or something. Uh, Enter the probiotic that I'm on now called Just Thrive, which is a spore-based probiotic, which means it hatches inside you. Sounds weird, I know, but that's what you want. You want bacteria that's alive when it gets into you. So imagine having a probiotic that actually works. It's like winning the health lottery. And I'd love for you to check out my friends over at Just Thrive by going to justthrivehealth.com and enter the code LUKE15 to save 15% off. That's justthrivehealth.com, the world's best, most effective probiotic. It's badass. Check it out. And now back to the interview. Dude, I have been going out in sun as much as possible, pretty much for as long as possible, for as long as I can remember, at least since my mid-20s, and spent time outdoors when I was a kid. I, I was a country boy. I mean, I, lived, I was out at stores all the time. We didn't, maybe we had Atari at some point, but <laughs> yeah, I was outdoors, and I'm 48, and my skin is not looks very wrinkly great. at all, dude. So it looks great. that defeats that whole thing. And I guess glad you said it. Some genetics or something, but it's a it's a comment I get from people all the time. You're 48. Wow, your skin looks great. I'm not trying to sun improves the function again. If you're burning, that's no bueno. And I've been actually just to update as I have been burning a lot of the last two years. Not good. Like probably half of the last two years, to be quite honest. I have had a peeling nose, which is really bad because I've been super liberal with this. And I've learned from Dr. Wunsch, the expert on sunlight, who, who your interview will come out with shortly, um, maybe even before this one, that that is not good. Very not good. And I need to stop doing that and be very cautious and careful. And so that's what I've learned. And that's part of the progression of this. You know, Sun doesn't necessarily cause skin cancer. Excess constant burning without building up the natural uh, solar protection is going to cause issues. But the thing is like in nature, we're designed when the sun comes back in the spring, like every day you're exposed and your skin is going to build up day by day by day, little bit by bit. And if you're never overriding your natural mechanisms, just like a cat who goes in the sun and then goes in the shade when they've had enough and they don't even need that much. We maybe need some more, maybe not, um, but we'll feel it. You know, you go in the sun, you'll feel done. Okay, I'm out. And that naturally should work. But because we've been such an indoor lifestyle, people will want to go outside. And then it's just like the body's begging, like, give me everything you can get. But then you get fried. So it's a problem. So it's, we've created the problem. So you, have to build, you have to build your solar callus exactly. and, and work your solar way Solar callus. Yeah. For people who don't know, it's like the callus on your feet from walking barefoot, callus on my fingers from playing guitar on the strings. It's just a buildup of skin. And it happens photochemically rather than like the way it happens from walking barefoot. It's just sort of abrasion and it triggers growth, but, or in, you know, that, that process, but 
it happens almost in a similar way with sunlight, UV light, you know, basically kills the top level uh, cells on the skin, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because they scatter their DNA, which is like we talked about with cells communicating with ultraviolet light. DNA is the ultimate absorber of ultraviolet light. And so it's like the ultimate sunscreen. Dr. Wunsch talks about this in several of his talks online. DNA is the ultimate sunscreen and our cells use that and it dissipates ultraviolet light into heat, vast majority of it. And so when we put on chemical sunscreens, which have tons of evidence showing that these cause all kinds of problems, they are never as effective as DNA at dissipating UV light into infrared light. And so they often also create all kinds of, because UV light is very strong and like people know, if you leave certain things out in sun, there's always warnings like it can cause miscoloration because UV light is very strong. It breaks things apart naturally. That's why it makes a lot of our hormones easy to make because it breaks apart the precursor molecules so that they can easily become the next thing, like vitamin D, for example. Yeah, UV light, it's literally that simple. It's like, like I said, food gives us chemical energy to do a lot of stuff, but there's tons of stuff. And this is how Dr. Wunsch Alexander described it to me. UV light comes in via the skin and the eye and literally it breaks apart certain molecules so that they can just become the next thing. And it's that simple. Like you go in the sun, you're literally breaking apart molecules with the different, different, like I said, different frequencies affect different processes. Certain red frequencies enhance mitochondrial energy production. Blue frequencies are great in the day from the, the full spectrum of light balanced by the red, the infrared, and so on. They create these spikes in cortisol and so on, but as long as we have the red there too, we're not gonna have too much generation of these free radicals, reactive oxygen species. So it's super, super simple and straightforward. So this is why getting uh, midday sun in your NADs helps you increase testosterone. Yes, that would be one of the ways. But even, actually, even just via the, um, I mean, even red light has been shown to increase testosterone. I'm not sure the mechanism of that, but I would guess it has to do with maybe increasing mitochondrial function in in the, the NADs. But like, even just through the blood and the eye, it could increase the production of testosterone potentially because it's freeing up cholesterol and so on. But yeah, more likely... Of course, it's shown when it's on that specific part of the body. Of course, it's going to enhance the function of that specific organ. So it's like a no-brainer. With the mitochondria piece, recently learning what you had um, indicated earlier that you inherit your amount, the amount of mitochondria you have when you're born from your mom. Well, not, not the amount, but the percentage of DNA mutation in the mitochondria. Okay, so the health of your mitochondria yeah, exactly. is passed down from your mom, Precisely. not your dad. So your hundred percent, your dad could have totally trash mitochondria, be completely metabolically yeah. dysfunctional, and it's not going to have an input at least on I that. Yeah, on that, not necessarily. But then again, it very well, it very well could, because here's there's nuance to this. Basically, very likely, if he has all this these problems, think about like we said, the semen is the chi. It like holds the light essentially. Your dad's semen is not going to be like the kind of sperm you want. Not the chronic. (laughs) Exactly. Not the chronic you want to be coming from. You know, Uh, maybe there might be one really, a couple really good sperm cells and there may be millions because there's tons, but, but, um, you know, you want really like energy enriched sperm cells, I presume, you know, to function optimally. And we get tons of our, you know, because it's going to combine with the egg and it's going to share its genes and you want all of its genes to be functioning properly. I don't know much about research on that and so on, but this is just my presumption based on the research I've gathered. But also, um, for example, the genes that we do get from our father have a very large impact on the mitochondrial function because although mitochondria did maintain a certain portion of genes going all the way back to the merging of 
life. This is a super fascinating topic. We got to hold this thought on the father's DNA. So got we got to hold okay. father's DNA. But basically, this is a, the, how I started my talk at this event. Maybe like circle that or something. But basically, how I started my talk at this event was going back to kind of said something to the tune of there's all this chronic disease that we're facing today, including my own. And people are saying that the way to improve it is by using food focused approaches. And I was basically saying, I disagree for the reasons we've discussed in depth now. But of course I I figured to, to really convey the point I wanted to describe, you know, why don't we define what is health, you know? And so to me, health is the optimal, an organism being able to carry out its functions properly. You know, if you carry out your functions properly, you're probably going to be healthy. There's a different dictionary definition, but that's my definition. So, but in order to define an organism carrying out its functions properly, we want to get to the core of what is a living organism and what are the core functions of a living organism that kind of make it healthy and functional. So to do that, I had the next slide be about the alkaline hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean where life began. And basically there's this fluid coming out of the earth that is alkaline, hence the name of the vents. And then there's this seawater, which is relatively acidic compared to the alkaline fluid coming in from the earth. Although seawater is more neutral, it's just that the other was ne- alkaline. So there was a gradient in these protons because alkaline acidic just means there's different concentrations of H plus, which is protons like the stuff we're just drinking here. And all that means is that there's pre- there's energy available when there's more stuff on one side of a membrane and less on another, there's energy. And because of the tiny pores in these vents, there was like these gradients that were present and the, the energy present there's a researcher in London named Nick Lane, who you would also be well-served to interview. Um, Dr. Nick Lane, he's the leading researcher on the evolution of organisms, um, basically from the beginning of life on earth. And so he essentially showed that he's researched how life came from the bottom of the ocean and from these vents. And the way that happened was with these proton gradients, with his natural energy. So people can read his book called The Vital Question. Bill Gates even really liked it, gave it a really favorable review. No, I don't like it. He's a eugenicist. Well, yeah, so- I'm just messing with you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. course, That's that's not even something I I would generally use to advertise something. But anyhow, so just just, uh, for those who who that might incite to want to read the book more. But um, basically, he describes how these cells were naturally based on this free energy there. But eventually, um, this energy- that was present in these vents was catalyzing the reaction between between carbons and hydrogens, just just naturally creating the first organic molecules, the first molecules that build up life, naturally structured in cells. And then these cells eventually had ways of becoming independent of that proton gradient, which kept them, these protocells stuck in these vents. Eventually they were able to go out because think of it this way, that initial proton gradient, the difference in proton concentrations from the alkaline fluid in the coming from inside the earth, from the ocean water that was meeting on these pores of these vents, tiny little tiny pores of rock holes, basically, um, was the initial fuel energy source, if you will, the spark of life. This was the spark of life, the meeting of fluid from inside the earth with ocean water. And the fluid from inside the earth particularly was charged with infrared light. So life used- Yeah, so it was used- Because of the lava? Yeah, exactly. From the- It was heated. So that's where the flow of it was coming from, the constant, constant flow. So life hasn't always been based on sunlight. To be clear, it started on infrared light from inside the earth. So we are earthlings, but we've used extraterrestrial light to, to evolve to basically- beyond earthlings. We've evolved to intergalactic or intersolar system, interplanetary beings in some level, just by the light we're exposed to. Anyhow, that's sort of some out there thinking, but basically, um, so we, 
these or primitive life forms left these vents, they were able to free themselves from being dependent on this energy because they had had the initial spark to start. And then they were able to slowly, but slowly to find other molecules to react because what happens when, um, what life does, it's like an investor. We put in energy and I don't know if we discussed this in us talking here today, but basically a living organism with that initial spark puts in energy, finds two molecules that want to react together. But for example, they're bound up in some other formation and puts in a little energy, breaks them apart, and then they react. And then they're even more satisfied. It's kind of like bacteria just foraging away at some food scraps you left on the ground or vultures, you know, eating the leftovers. That's kind of what, like what life always took advantage of. There's always opportunities. The best is fire. When you have like a leaf or wood or some hydro, always hydrogen-based fuel source for fire, whether it's petrol or anything, always hydrogen-based. You put a spark, the spark breaks free some of the hydrogens from their bonds. And then the hydrogen bonds immediately with oxygen, releasing all of that energy. We do this in our mitochondria. Oxygen, we breathe hydrogen we eat from the butter you're eating, the carbs we eat, but we do it slowly and controlled and we suck all that energy out in order to create a proton gradient in our mitochondria, which so we basically, again, you take in hydrogen from food, you breathe in oxygen, the hydrogen donates its electrons, which is sort of like its energy storage component. And then it basically, those electrons hop across these proteins and act because they're being sucked by oxygen. But we're like, uh-uh-uh, not so fast. You can't go all the way to oxygen that quick and be happy right away. We're going to suck every little bit of energy out of you on the way. So every time the electron is jumped from one protein to the next, ultimately being pulled by oxygen um, at the end of the way, but pulled by each one along the way, that energy that is sucked away from the electrons, which by the way, came from the sun. The sun, when it's shown on those initial plants, they, the electrons jumped up into an excited state. So we're just bringing it down to a de-excited state, unexcited state through our mitochondria. So every time the electron jumps down, it goes to a lower state, state of excitation. And we take that energy and use it to pump protons from inside of the mitochondrial matrix, which is the inner part of a mitochondria into this intermembrane space because mitochondria have an inner membrane, which is folded and then an outer membrane and the space in between. So we're recreating that initial proton gradient from the bottoms of the ocean, literally. And then what happens is there's, because there's more protons in this intermembrane space, they want, like, if you imagine, a, like if this room was packed with a bajillion people, it's going to be hot stuff and you want to get, get the hell out, right? So what life does is it puts a revolving door where when those people want to get out, it sucks the, it, it puts in a, a battery charging revolving door. So when the people naturally want to leave the room and go out, we're automatically pushing the revolving door and charging basically generating electricity with the revolving door. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So it's like natural, just super easy. More here, less here. They want to go down, but we force them to go through the revolving door, which is called the ATP synthase, which is how we make ATP. So that makes it basically a ton of energy. And so that's like just, just that part I described with the electrons hopping from protein to protein to protein um, and the energy is being sucked off of them. The, when the mitochondria are functioning well with a red light shining on them, the electrons move very, very nicely and smoothly, just like fuel in a working engine with good spark plugs. But when we don't have red light shining on those chromophores, those proteins in the mitochondria, proteins, chromophores, same thing, uh, or chromophores are just proteins that absorb the light uh, or anything that absorbs light. But so then the might, that process of electrons jumping slows down. And so then we have, again, increased free radical generation, all these problems. Same with the melatonin. Melatonin repairs those repairs the mitochondrial DNA, which makes those proteins work properly. So if we don't have as much melatonin, 
it's also messed up. So it's like blue light at night destroys melatonin, destroys this this way. Lack of red light with blue light during the day also destroys it more directly. So it's like I was going through this in the beginning of my talk to get to this point leading us to father's DNA, going through the steps where eventually there was a merger of these cells. So there was this initial cell, the coolest part, the reason life was constrained for 2 billion years, think about it, for the first like out of 4 billion years of evolution approximately, like the first 2 billion-ish years, life could never be bigger than like a tiny bacteria, which are so small, we, they're all over this table, we can't even see them. You know, why? Because we used these gradients and protons across membrane space in order to provide energy. And so as a circular cell approximately, circular, with only a certain amount of membrane space around the outside, there's only a certain amount of area on which you can generate energy. That's it. And so as you got to a certain size, there's all this volume of stuff in the middle that you kind of have to deal with and you have to have energy to, to make that work. But if the membrane's only so big, life reaches a constraint. And that's why life was held for so long because there was not more membrane on which to generate energy to power all the stuff that was going to be inside and the, the size of it. So what happened was, Two mitochondria or two primitive bacteria made an alliance. And one basically said, okay, I have, let's say, a thousand genes and you have a thousand genes. I'm really good at making energy and you're not as good at making energy. So let's do this. You, I will go inside of you, basically, and, and then you will take pretty much all of my genes and I'll just keep the few ones that are absolutely critical to my functioning. And so I'll just give you now, because now that I don't have to basically the most expensive process in life this Dr. Wallace described to me is basically keeping and maintaining and expressing genes because you protein synthesis is like the most expensive process in life. So genes mean protein synthesis. So if you have, if you have a thousand genes, it means way more making of proteins than having 13 genes because they're kind of, the process is always happening. You have genes that are being expressed, blah, 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 blah. So you cut out from a thousand genes to 13 genes, you have a lot of energy saved. It's just a ton. So basically this one says, the energy producer basically says, okay, well, I'll give you all of my genes except the ones I need to just basically keep myself going. And then, yeah, you can keep them and then control other pieces of my function as well. And so then I'll just give you all of this leftover energy that I have and I'm just gonna keep what I got. And now basically the energy producer is like chilling because all he has to do is just do what he's best at, making energy and doesn't have to do all this extra work. And then the host cell now that has all the, it's sort of the master cell that has them all the, the main genes basically focuses on getting all the food, nutrients, and then handling structure, anatomy, function, and all that stuff. And the other's just like, I just got to make energy dope. It's kind of like a business, you know, like one person's really good at marketing. One person's really good at overseeing the bigger picture. And so that's the, the, the alliance that was made. And so that basically the, the energy producer became what's mitochondria. And so the cool thing was that with that, there could be hundreds is what we have today of these energy producers in one single cell with the nucleus. So instead of having, for example, if you imagine like a room of kids working on a project, if you had each kid doing the same project, like a thousand kids doing the same project, it like they might, well, basically that's, it would be sort of a waste of energy. They're the same task, the same repetitive task for each of themselves Whereas you could just have one person do the task and copy it across all of them instead of having them each figure out the tasks themselves. That's what would be the case if mitochondria all kept all their genes and we wouldn't have been able to evolve so complex. But they made it so that only one, the one who was best at doing the task, figured it out and replicated it across all of the kids in the room, the thousand kids. So now the amount of energy saved that all those other kids who focus their energy on what they do best 
is tremendous. And so basically the mitochondria, the energy producers, all the other kids in the room focused on just doing one thing they do best. And the one smartest at overseeing the big picture did that, copied it across the rest. So much energy savings, like by hundreds and hundreds fold, massive. You know, each mitochondria, a thousand genes versus 13, all of the energy savings is tremendous because you only need one master. So there's basically the slaves and the master. And so from there, life was able to become complex. That's basically it. You have, so, think about this. You have so much membrane space now tucked because mitochondria are just super tight membrane things tucked in this. And that's what allowed organisms to just basically go super big. I mean, even to the size of dinosaurs, it's insanity. Pretty dope. Just that one merger that occurred. So so this is why this is so important. Like people think, oh, the mitochondria, Dr. Wallace, mitochondrial disease, like our existence, like our function in my brain, everything, my thoughts, my consciousness, my level of consciousness, my happiness, my mood, it's powered by the functioning of these mitochondria. How do I know? Because if they didn't merge, we wouldn't even have complex life. And we know that, yeah, of course, if you stop breathing, you're going to die. If you take cyanide, which stops mitochondrial function acutely, you die immediately. That's why it's a great poison if you get captured in war because it keeps the electrons from flowing across the chain. It's kind of like the cyanide is like the anti-red light, basically. Red light, red light really? researchers should use, yeah, because cyanide blocks the function of cytochrome C oxidase, which is one of the things that electrons basically jump across the chain. Uh, it's one of the, the basically train stops, if you will, on the train line that an electron follows in the mitochondria. And um, yeah, so yeah, so if cyanide, blocks it. And so we die basically immediately because that proton gradient that provides that energy to constantly keep us going through the revolving door, people going through the revolving door. It basically, you know, the best analogy is if it's kind of like if someone uh, pumped a massive hole in the wall of that room that all those people were trapped in, you were making your energy off of them forcing through the revolving door. If you just basically blast the entire wall down, then everyone can go out every direction and you're basically dead. So that's basically what happens in, in death in general. Um, and the cell can't hold its light anymore. And so it all leaks out and that's death. But basically, yeah. So red light improves the fun- the ability of that, rev- uh, I guess, of the, of the electrons to jump across the chain, essentially. So it's super, super dope. But so the reason that goes, so I, I just really wanted to tell that story so people can understand like how foundational this is in life getting complex and it's everything. The origin, it's the origin of life. Of life and complex life in particular, which is why it's from, so relevant to us. From the standpoint of- Mitochondria. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From the alkaline hydrothermal vents, the fluids mixing, the proton gradients leading to the mergers. And Nick Lane, this guy, again, really good books. Amazing. But so with the father's DNA, which we were talking about before, some of the mitochondrial genes are directly inherited from the mother. Like mitochondrial DNA that sits in the mitochondria is only inherited from the mom because the mitochondria are only inherited from the mom. But the genes that there's certain genes in the nuclear genome that were transferred over in that transfer that happened when they basically gave it all to that one master um, that do also regulate the mitochondria. So it's not like the only things regulating mitochondria are in the mitochondria. So there's like a sort of mix over and the between Dr. Wallace, who's one of the leading experts and Dr. Lane, both of whom I got to meet with, they also sort of disagree. Like Dr. Wallace thinks it's more about the mitochondrial DNA alone. Dr. Lane pointed out to me, he sees flaws in, the, in that theory because there's a whole amount of genes in our nuclear genes that also control the mitochondria to some extent. Maybe the ones that just weren't as critical to stay in the mitochondria. That's probably how it worked out. So like basically to answer your question that this was very long-winded and, and very well detailed, but the mom's mitochondrial function is pretty critical because that's what determines how well our mitochondria work. But if you really get crappy genes from your dad, somehow that could also diminish the mitochondrial function. But 
it is kind of also true. And this is the most fascinating piece. I'm so glad this came up. Wow. People have, it's such an interesting thing that men can have children all the way into their 70s very healthily. Why? Because all the men are donating is the DNA code. Women can't have kids healthily past the age of 30 or 40 because over every decade they live, the mitochondria sitting in their eggs that have to maintain themselves with her energy basically have increases in their mitochondrial DNA percent mutation each decade she's alive, each year as well. So as a woman goes from you know, 14, 13, when we're designed to naturally, I mean, even though that's not societally acceptable, when someone goes through natural, you know, puberty and is able to have kids like Romeo and Juliet, Romeo was 17, Juliet was 14, I think. That's kind of like how things were way back when, when people would have kids, because that's when a woman is healthiest to have children is, is younger. And this is very controversial because of, you know, or at least this might be controversial because of um the way that people view equality between men and women. But um, of course, we can have equal rights, opportunities, and everything, of course, and I think we should, but biologically, we're not the same um, because women pass down mitochondria. So men can basically for our entire life, almost men can, as long as they can ejaculate and get a hard one, hard on, <laughs> men can basically have a child fairly healthily. But women after 30 and especially after 40, um, unless they're doing some really serious like meditation and energetic practices, they're super healthy. It's gener- in the modern world in particular, it's uncommon. Women have trouble having kids healthily and more and more people in general have trouble having kids healthily because of all the infertility stuff we've spoken about. But does that kind of make sense? Like, so there's yeah. such a big gap between like, again, like men can have healthy kids at 70, but like it's well known. Younger women has kids. Generally, the kids are a lot healthier. Um, it's a huge advantage to have kids at a younger age if you're a woman. So, how can a, a mom? So, if you know, say a woman's 35, 30, 40, whatever, wants to have a kid, wants to have offspring that has juiced up mitochondria and has like a real we should shot probably in life. get onto the light diet, the eight steps. <laughs> I think we've already gone two hours. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because what, that would be the answer to basically all the questions. Well, okay. So at this point in my talk, the audience was like, uh, you know, it's hilarious. So I had yeah. forty minutes initially scheduled, and I got through all the theory. And at, in the beginning, it was like tough crowd. It's like four twenty p.m. on a Saturday, second last talk. Practically everyone's like oh, dead. So the crowd was really tough in the beginning, especially because I was unpacking like this mega dense material we've talking about in like tight space. But I think it did a great job. I think I almost felt like I never have to give another talk again because it was such a great synthesis. Um, and I'm just gonna tell people watch it on YouTube because it will be there, thankfully, professionally recorded and all. But <laughs> at the time. In the beginning, it was so weak. And then by the time we got to the end of the explanation of the theory, I was like, oh, and that's it. And so we didn't get it because my time was up, 40 minutes. And then just like divine providence, they're like, you have 15 more minutes because the other speaker's late. And I was like, wow, that's really funny. So who wants to hear the steps of the light diet? Every single person raised their hands and erupts. Like, yeah, it was epic. Any, anyway, so I'm so, presuming the listener is at so, that point. <laughs> so, so to the, so to the, um, yeah, this is a listener. This, if you're at this point, smile. We're <laughs> with in diehard. We're in diehard territory now. We've passed over from the comment, you know, the like uh, casual observer. We are like in deep water here. So this is. I didn't hit. think we'd be able to outdo the episode from two years ago. I <laughs> oh. actually think. We absolutely have. I'm pretty stoked. Uh, yeah. Especially though you're so like, I can't believe you've like, just you're awake, man. I'm impressed. It's miraculous. Um, we can th- 
thank Butter for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> what I want to the the question here begs the answer that so Mother wants to conceive. You know, how long before conceiving do they need to like really be attention paying attention to blue light and getting sun exposure and all of the things that make and doing, you know, red light therapy, mm-hmm. doing all the things that make your mitochondria. This is a great kick question. Ass. The best way to answer it for me would be like if I met a woman who had grown up in the modern world, um, which I don't know what I'm gonna I mean, most likely like people say love has a way of its own. So, you know, I'll probably meet someone who I really love regardless of their way they were raised, whether they grew up in the jungle or they grew up in a toxic lifestyle, more like me. And we probably relate more in that case. Um, so assuming I met a woman who I did want to have kids with at some point who was raised in, in a way where she was almost as damaged as I was, I would be extremely skeptical about having children with someone who was as damaged as I was mitochondrially. But the thing is I'm a man. So my mitochondria will never be passed on no matter how good I make them or how bad I make them. But for women, they have, and all of the eggs a woman has, she has it birth too from her mom. So it's like birth control, whew, terrible. Everything, EMF, computers on lap. It's destroying all the children she could possibly ever have. Like men, we can remake our sperm. Women, all the eggs she could ever have babies with are always there from the moment she's born. Super fascinating. Damn. Yeah. So like all the damage that a woman does, it is powerful. So like, to be honest with you, I have no idea how I'm, how I'm going to go about it when I, when I have kids. But let's just say for theory, it was someone. I would probably say like, just what comes to my mind now, like a couple years at least, like a couple years, but yeah, a couple years is what comes to my mind for sure. Cause like any less and you can't really do too much, but it was, for me, it would also be like be living in a place where it's like tropical or at least there's lots of sun um, and, or just super optimal, healthy, very low EMF, super healthy diet, super great. I wouldn't of course ever want to control like you've, I know we mentioned in one episode or something I've heard, you know, you have had issues with your, you know, with partners to some extent, like feeling like you want to help them, but like you realize like you can't control someone. Like, so of course I would only ever do this if someone's like a hundred percent on board. Um, but I think a couple years or at least a year or two, cause again, the, the years pass by and the eggs get more aged. So it's a kind of a fine line, probably I'd say two to three years of really good work. Um, maybe even one to two years, but I wouldn't say any less than one year. And this would be if you're in a super optimal environment. If you're in like staying in like a toxic, unhealthy place, it's like you're never going to get to where you could be. But if that's your only choice and that's all you got, like I'd give it like a year, at least year or two, but I'm completely guessing. But like, I would say the best indicator would be like only the point at which you feel like you feel amazing every day, then go for it. And it's good because at that point, like, like if someone feels really healthy and well, if I'm not mistaken, you know, you'll have a really high sex drive. So it's like, if you don't have a really high sex drive and you're not like dying to have a kid, you probably shouldn't. Is there a test that you can get to uh, find out what your mitochondrial function is? Yeah, heteroplasmy is the, uh, the, the term for like the percentage of DNA mutation. And honestly, it would be epic if you interviewed Dr. Wallace and you had just had your followers alone interested in doing this test um, because I don't think there's really good test. No, I mean, they definitely test heteroplasmy in the lab, but I'm guessing it costs like a couple grand per experiment, you know, cause like the equipment they use, it's like insanely expensive and stuff. Is there a test for like ATP production? Uh, I mean, honestly, there must be, there must be, I don't know. Hmm. I actually should know this, but I have no clue. Dr. Cruz would be, I'll ask him. Um, cause that'd be interesting, be you know, know, when you're talking about procreating and whether or not you're as optimal as you can be. There must be, there must be. Right? But Dr. Cruz, uh, again, Dr. Jack Cruz, for anyone who's interested, he has a 
blog called the Redox RX. And Redox is like when I was saying earlier that mitochondria and, and life in general uses uh, molecules that want to react but are bound up. Like, for example, in the case of wood or leaves and fire, you need spark to break the molecules free so they, they can react with the air, the oxygen. And then again, when they react, makes releases more energy, breaks more hydrogens free. And that's why fires like in Malibu could go from one single spark to like a freaking entire place burned down because each time this reaction happens, it creates enough energy to further the reaction. It's self-perpetuating in effect. And so for our um, energy generation, yeah, of course, we're using hydrogen and oxygen to do that. And so redox, this term redox, it's redox potential is like the full name. That's what Jack, Dr. Cruz uses often as a measure and people don't understand it. It's essentially overall, all things considered, the ability of us to take hydrogen and oxygen and very effectively generate energy from them. So for example, just by standing in red light from a red light panel for a certain period of time, your redox is higher. Your ability to basically carry out what's called the reduction oxidation reaction because one of the molecules hydrogen is being or oxygen is being reduced hydrogen is being oxidized reduction oxidation it's it's named after oxygen because of oxygen's specific strong pull for electrons steals electrons and oxidize same thing that happens when a bike tire rusts electrons are being stolen from the bike tire by oxygen so or the bike chain pardon um so anyhow yeah he has a, a, and that would probably be the best, the closest to this. So he has a list of labs that people can like do. And oh, based so on can... those labs, he, he believes, again, as the, as the, I'd say foremost expert on all this stuff synthesized, based on those labs, you can have a pretty good idea of your redox. There's no, that I'm aware of direct mitochondrial measure, but there probably will be in the next like five, 10 years, especially if we get on Dr. Wallace and show there's demand for it. So everyone do that. Um, but yeah, that would be epic. So basically, yeah, it's redox. You want to measure um, the mitochondrial redox, but again, it's going to be through these different labs. And I think, I don't know if, even if vitamin D is involved, but I think it's like he takes in a lot of different things. It's a long list. So yeah, I think that's probably the best way. So if you have like really good scores on all those labs, which are what he generally uses, I think to evaluate new patients anyway, then like maybe it's good to have a kid at that point. And not just within the reference ranges, but like within his reference ranges, because a lot of the time the reference ranges that are standard today, like for male, you know, sperm function is like, they've been like reduced over the last decades to the point where like the average man today would be considered infertile by the standards like 60 years ago. Have you heard about that? No. Yeah. That's like, there's a, there's actually a a movie called the disappearing male and it talks more about like BPA and stuff. They think it's all about the chemicals. I think that they're missing obviously a huge portion that stuff's totally related to but um, yeah, they, they mentioned that like literally, I can't believe I remember this, but yeah, every practically decade or 20 years or so, they've been lowering the standards for what constitutes like fertility. I forget it's sperm count. I think it's sperm count wow. uh, or sperm motility, but they've been reducing those numbers because like pretty much everyone doesn't qualify. So like imagine like already how much lower functioning the average person is compared to, you know, like guys all the time were talking to me like, this is maybe sort of personal, uh, whatever, but like about how like um, when they were younger, like, you know, like Dr. Cruz, he's joking with me, but like, you know, like when he was like, when I was younger, like you all, I'd always wake up with like wood, you know, like hardening and whatnot. And like, at least I don't personally, but you know, <laughs> that's again, not to say that that's something that's required, but for a, the like optimal functioning of an organism, but you know, 
I do know that when I'm in places where I'm like super charged up, like that is more the case. And when I'm in places where I'm like not traveling, whatever, that's not as much the case. So there's like a direct correlate there for like me being more optimal versus me being less. But um, so yeah, it's clear that, and also same thing, like guys are always like, yeah, like, you know, at, at this age, like when I was younger, like I wanted to fuck everything that walked basically. It was like, like what a lot of, you know, older dudes <laughs> would tell me, <laughs> you and Elliot included. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So basically I, I honestly think there's, there's an issue there that's basically like, probably not just me, but like a lot of my cohort, my peers, people, my age generation are totally screwed from this. And imagine how bad it would be. Like my generation is the last one that grew up like first 10 years of our lives, 14 years without cell phones. Like now it's like from age two, three, four, they're getting cell phones. Like even my little brother's generation is way more messed up. I can see it. A school counselor at my school was telling me about how, um, like he sees that kids are more and more stuck and addicted to their phones and rates of behavioral issues. And like, uh, he didn't say autism, but it, I, I believe that is increasing too, based on the statistics. It is statistics are pretty clear, but um, just behavioral dis- disorders, like in issues, like total inability to behave themselves, basically like autism, is massively growing. Aspergers, these things. It's, that's mitochondrial brain dysfunction coming from super damaged moms who have bad mitochondria, forcing them to have kids. Like my parents, my mom couldn't get for, uh, fertile. They used in vitro fertilization, which in 1999, when it was done for me, we discussed this in the last episode, um, wasn't super common to do in vitro. Um, you know, it was very young. The oldest person ever born via in vitro isn't even 50 years old yet. So it's like super novel. And she doesn't look good. Doesn't look particularly healthy doesn't mean she's a great example for everyone, but yeah. But so it's, it's barely even known how that affects us. But the whole point is it's now it's like super common. Like so many people need to ha- do in vitro and that's like forcing something that should not happen. Like having, well, let me take that back. That's like to say that I shouldn't be alive, but it's like forcing something that evolutionarily I can admit that nature was like, do not like, you know, like, yeah, you're not like healthy. And, and that's why I had these problems as probably as a kid. Cause my mom's mitochondria were probably pretty shot from whatever it was in her life that affected her. I mean, she's had a ton more stress, stress in her life since having kids. I'm a triplet because of in vitro fertilization. We have, uh, I have a little brother as well, two sisters, same age and a little brother younger, two years. So she had a lot of stress, divorced with my father, stuff like that. So, you know, she has had like uh, two different, like uh, thyroid cancer and some other like issues, like practically skin cancer, some interesting stuff. It's not really good, of course. And so that implies that she has had some level of mitochondrial dysfunction from even maybe before the marriage and divorce and stress that probably even triggered that. So it's, it lines up pretty nicely is the point that I would have inherited mitochondrial dysfunction. She had us at age 35, which I would say is pretty late for a woman to have a kid, um, you know, based on what's healthy. That's 20 years after they're initially designed to begin having a child. Again, I do know someone though from Norway who's the wife of this Qigong master. She had her last, one of her last children at a, in, in her forties, quite, let's say late for, um, to do this, but she every day like, um, prayed and held always the statue of David from Michelangelo. And when I say her son, a good friend of mine is like, looks like David from Michelangelo and he is such a healthy, amazing energetic being. It's true. So I think there's ways to like skirt this, but just for the general population, if you're not like super connected Qigong master in some level, and you're not interested in pursuing that to a a very strong extent, then better to be safe than sorry. 
Um, yeah. Word. So, <laughs> yep. Word is born. Okay. So, so shall t- we talk take about... Take note, people, before you get knocked up, you, you got to get the mitochondria on deck. Yep. couple of years in, this, in, in, in the light diet, which we're going to talk about. As reward for those diehard badasses that have stuck with us through this epic Oh, you know what's funny? Most people who listen to three hour episode told me that they re-listened to it at least once to take notes. So I think people can- Oh, I don't care. I go as long as I gotta go. Yeah, exactly. You know, I tried in the beginning. (laughs) But so people are into it. That's the point. Well, dude, I tried in the beginning to have hour long episodes and it was just excruciatingly stressful to try and cram it in. It's just gotta go as long as it's gotta go. One one and a half to three is perfect because you really can't go more than three. I mean, come on. Oh, you'd be surprised. Are you serious? Yeah, I've done it. I forget who it was. Maybe Boros and them. You guys went a long time. Ah, no. Anyhow. Well, let's get into- the eight steps of yeah, the light diet, absolutely. which is not like eating a light snack, but light as in illumination. Yeah. You, you actually had come to me and said, <laughs> I think maybe you should change the name to the sunlight diet. Luke said this to me because, um, then you would know, you know, people might be like, is that the light diet? But you know, it's funny. It fits because, um, based on what I've, <laughs> based on what I've learned in the last while, um, if you're eating if you're living on sunlight, you don't need as much food. That's one thing I've very right. acutely discovered through a lot of like self-poisoning almost because like I was so used to eating like large portions of food. So just out of like the desire for the pleasure and naturally having spent a lot of time alone in the last few months and two years, I guess, um, I also like have, you know, derived a lot of pleasure from food much more than is like, I'd say he- safe and healthy. And also with my background with sort of food issues, eating disorder type stuff. Um, so I had this desire to always keep eating like that amount of food till I'm like just really full and stuffed and like numb, almost like numbing, numbing myself with food. Food has always been like my drug of choice where I literally eat until I feel like shit many times, even since we've had our last conversation, (laughs) very not healthy. Um, you know, and this is, yeah. And this is more of an emotional thing that I have to deal with. And absolutely. I've totally have flaws still in my mitochondrial function, which is something I, I had mentioned I'd want to discuss is like, I've been traveling folks for the last two years. Uh, you know, I spent first summer after recording that episode with Luke in September or fall in, in Europe. I went back to the States. I was in Mexico for a month. I went to Philly. I lived in Philly for the winter working on my business. Then I went to LA to be there based on that invitation from our mutual friend. Then I went to Europe for another summer. Then I went back to LA for a fall. Then I went to Mexico for the winter of last year. Then I went to Bali for three months. Then I went to Europe for a couple of weeks, back to LA for a couple of weeks and a road trip in the States. Then to Philly where my family's based and then back to Europe for the summer. And now I'm here. So like literally chronic circadian disruption nonstop. And I can verify and validate that that definitely takes it out of the body. There have been many points where like my redox is toast, especially after flights. Like I'm saying, I would eat like anything and I would have headache. I would feel terrible. I'd want to like basically die. Not really, but like, I felt like shit so bad just from like after flights in particular. Um, not just in general, but when I would eat, which indicates to me that it was definitely a mitochondrial redox issue. Cause like, think about it, you put in that fuel and the mitochondria just can't burn through it. Something's seriously, seriously wrong. So I've been driven to think I'm going to try to base myself, set a little more in, in a sunny place in, you know, Central America, um, to heal for a, quite a, substantial period of time. That's my current intention. I'm working to manifest um, because there's so much appealing things in LA, so many things that are going to pull me talks and opportunities to stay in one place at this age is is hard for me, to be honest. I I like getting up, 
but it prevents me from ever having to go in and address whatever is going on inside of me that's maybe uncomfortable, you know, because it's like, oh, there's a problem. I don't like where I'm at. Blah, blah, blah. I don't want, rather than try to build a community or do this, I'm just like, oh, I'll go somewhere new, just change it and not touch whatever was there. So, yeah, chronic travel creates chronic circadian disruption, which creates problems. Also, with that, um, certain cycles in the body don't work as well, like the methionine cycle, which is related to our detox of things like mercury. So I had given the advice, oh, eat lots of seafood. If you're in the sun, you're healthy, you'll be able to detox it. I was in the sun a lot, but and I should have a higher vitamin D level also than I do, but because of these factors of travel, circadian disruption, lowers the ability to, one, do things like make vitamin D effectively, but also to detox mercury. So I got my mercury level much higher than it should have been because I was also eating, you know, some sea higher level up seafood without taking care of my body's redox. So it was a great lesson I learned and I'm in the process of detoxing that. Thankfully it isn't killing me. I'm not like toxicity dying or feeling terrible. I'm doing quite well at the moment. But, um, so that being said, the light diet has been refined tremendously. (laughs) since starting this because literally the last episode the whole three hours was basically trying to explain all the steps with no clarity on how to do so so the first step which used to be the last step before seven before eight which is cultivating your inner light now it's it is basically sleep with the sun step one sleep with the sun used to be step seven because it felt like it fit at the end of the day then I realized when I was in Croatia just over the summer, this is kind of the last piece of the light diet that had to get locked in. I was always using an alarm to wake up for the sunrise, which is super not good because it's a, it's a stressful way to start the day, especially when you don't work in an office, you don't have to. But I was doing it anyway to get the sunrise. The real issue was I just wasn't going to sleep early enough that I would wake up naturally before first light. As per the suggestion of a good friend who's part of the community of people into light rather than just main diet, light in addition to diet, he was like, just try going to sleep an hour earlier, you know, shortly after the sun goes down and see how you do. And I started doing it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. The first night I did it, I went to sleep at eight. I woke up at 3.30 in the morning, actually uh, 7.38, I went to sleep eight to four. That's eight hours of sleep. That's pretty good to be up at 4 a.m. And I meditated for like two hours, two and a half hours before the sun came up, which is what the Ayurvedic doctor prescribed to me in a certain energetic fashion. And man, it was amazing. And so I've learned like the key step of the light diet, the reason it's now number one before even sunrise being number one, getting to sleep with the sun and is, is critical to get up so that, because people are like, oh, do I really have to get up for the sunrise? The key is in getting to sleep really early and not being exposed to a bunch of artificial light. Because again, when you're awake late without the sun powering your body, you're sort of like stressing yourself out. If you're around a bonfire with infrared charging you up, great, like humans would have been if they stayed up late anytime because that was the only light source we'd really have after dark. Otherwise, go to sleep. Again, there's the, all the little caveats that we discussed in the last episode, like you can use orange bulbs and blah, blah, blah. If you have to be awake, softer on your screen and blue blockers. The best thing is no lights after sunset and go to sleep basically once it's dark. In the winter, that's way harder. So use fire, use candles, really great. Candles generate a lot of infrared. Um, fireplace at your house, awesome. It'll make you feel so great if you do that. And just like all this stuff, you know, all these hacks, but that's basically the gist. And people have heard this before, but do that. Going to sleep with the sunset is pretty straightforward. So yeah, I think that's, um, that's the key. And, and so that you're getting up naturally before sunrise without having to use an alarm. So is there any, anything on that that needs elaboration? Do you feel just how difficult it is for most of us to do so? Because yeah. Oh, great Fun shit's happening Thank after you, dark, you know? Of course. Yeah, so- and if you're in a relationship, like the chances of you finding someone that's on board with that is 
yeah. is difficult. So, like so, that should okay. be like a first date conversation where you're like, hey, so you just got to know something about me. I'm super into circadian biology and I like to go to bed very near um, sunset. Yeah, exactly. And if it's winter, the sun goes down at four or five, like you're going to be up later. But the key, again, the key, I'll be more specific. The key is to only after sunset, use all software. You would use any screens, use um, blue light filters and make them as red as you can. Um, And then, yeah, the issue is when you, dim these screens oftentimes depending on the software you're using there's more flicker involved in the screens so that's problematic because now you're like it's dimmer but you're doing flicker even of red light at night definitely i don't think it's optimal so i generally say avoid screens after sunset again in the winter if the sun sets at four maybe till six but definitely i'd say avoid screen avoid screens like three hours before bed uh, as much as you can and if you have to use them wear software and always wear blue blockers when you are on a screen even with all the filters because the, the software can never eliminate all of the blue from the backlight. And Dr. Winch talked about that in his talk too. And I've, I've measured it on my spectrometer as well because there's a bright white light behind the screen. They can dim it, but they can't change the spectral. It's just, they can't eliminate all of the light with the software. So even with iris? Even with iris, you got to wear blue blockers when you're looking at a screen still. What? And you'd be surprised. Just put your glasses on in a room with, I literally turn the brightness all the way down and the blue light all the way down on iris with um, in a, in a completely pitch black room and I take blue blockers on and there's no blue hue in the room off. And there's like a bluish hue on the walls of the room. It's unbelievable. Oh, and my wow. spectrometer confirms this. There's always a little right. blip of blue, way more than you want. So blue blockers always when looking at screens at night, but generally if you can just do your work during the day and let yourself be free from screens after the sun sets, it's so great. It's so nice books only. And so what I do, just so people know, I never use lights in house almost Never. I, I literally never. The only light I use is a portable red light headlamp, which is like a camping gear. They all have white light option and red light. So look up red headlamp. Use that. I put it on my head when I'm reading, when I'm walking around, uh, everything. And, and that's the only way I see. I never use the overhead bulbs even during the day because then I just use the natural light coming in from the windows. So that's what I do. Um, and yeah, it's just dark. I just don't turn on any lights during the day or the night. So the red headlamp is mega win. Candles, if you live somewhere, that's also great. But just not using any blue light after dark is the key. And you will naturally get pretty tired. But if you're looking at a screen with no blue light, it'll make it a lot harder to get tired. So that's why I generally say, if you are going to stay up late after the sun goes down with with artificial lights or candles or any kind of light or red headlamp, red light thing, like just don't use screens. That's probably the best option. And you'll get tired. And you can use like Edison incandescent bulbs, although they're not as good as candles. Um, And people will get tired. And your kids won't get, your kids will get tired and you won't have all this screaming kids you can't put to sleep. That's like the biggest benefit for parents. It's like, why won't my kids go to bed? It's like, you're literally like soaking your kids in wake the fuck up serum. And so no <laughs> wonder they're not going to bed. Duh, you're letting them stare at their iPad. So like, duh. Anyway, also key, I'm so glad you asked this. Other key for sleeping with the sun, no meals after 5 p.m. We already discussed this, but absolutely not. And then from the Ayurvedic tradition, that's one thing. The other thing is um, 10 and again, the reason I give credence to the Ayurvedic tradition is because after I met this Ayurvedic doctor in Bali while I was surfing out in the water, it's the serendipity. These things just happen. You talk to people, the energy draws you to. Next thing you know, he's just a surfer. Next thing you know, he's teaching me you know, Ayurveda at his villa, like doing a meditation. I'm, I'm visiting him at 5 a.m. to do like a private consultation. It's insane. Like we're in touch. It's epic. We're going to share a villa in Costa Rica. Some, it's epic. So anyhow, um, I'm stoked for that. But basically- the two rules he gave me, which I think generally apply pretty well, no meals after 5 p.m. ever. And um, then 
I'll always go to sleep before 10 p.m. and maximum two nights a week exception. So 10 p.m. every night at the absolute latest. And if you want to do two nights per week where you stay up later, fine. But because um, they, in their tradition, they believe that or the, their research for 5,000 years or whatever has shown that the nervous system doesn't fully regenerate if you go to sleep any later than 10 p.m. So I don't fully know all the science behind their theories, but based on what I've learned and how much it lines up with the light diet, it's essentially like the light diet is basically the Ayurvedic protocols to some extent, but with the Western science behind it now. So yeah, we just want to go to sleep before 10 p.m. But even before nine for me is, is the, the home run. So that's step one. Step one, go to sleep with the sun. Step, step two. two, wake up with the sun believe it or not. <laughs> Pretty simple, but naturally we would wake up if you're going to sleep early enough that you're waking up before the sun, that's the goal. So you'll wake up before the sunrise. Um, and right now I'm sort of in a torn period where if you go to sleep too late, you know, Dr. Cruz basically posits uh, that it's best to get up with an alarm if necessary, just not to miss the sunrise. Because if you miss it, then your circadian rhythm's shifting forward and you're gonna have to not be as tired that night and then you're gonna wanna sleep. So it's like you phase shifted it. So in some way he believes it's better just reset it and that it's so important to do this, to get the sleep and be up for that early change in the light. Oh, that I you don't wanna miss it for even one day or two days. It's, I gotta ask you something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you fucking miss the sunrise for like a few days, it's so hard to get back on it. Mm-hmm. I got, like when I moved into the canyon, I have to drive up the hill to get the sunrise. And I started dating mm. someone that doesn't mm. want to go to bed as early as that, mm. mostly. Um, mm. So, mm, yes. Um, so <laughs> I lost the habit. The point is I lost the habit of watching the sunrise because now I have to go up the hill to see it. In my last apartment, I just could like stumble onto my balcony. And I had yeah, a perfect, dude, you did have a great had shot. A perfect but eyeline. also you had a direct eyeline at the cell tower. <laughs> yeah, burn. So I think you're... Yeah, so I'm winning, you know, overall. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. After a long day of interviewing, editing, podcasting, making YouTube videos, doing whatever it is I'm doing with my life, I love to relax later on in the day or in the evening. And that's one of the reasons that I love Organifi Gold. This stuff is truly gold. It's got cinnamon, ginger, lemon balm, medicinal mushrooms, coconut milk, and more than anything, a super big serving of turmeric. It's an amazing anti-inflammatory spice. It's one of my favorites. So I'll make myself a golden latte at night with some good healthy fats in there and just have a nice calming drink. My friends and family love to come over and have my magic uh, gold elixir at night. But I also have been doing it uh, during the day. Just when I need to chill out, I'll make an Organifi drink elixir and I'll put it on ice. And it's actually really delicious that way too. Organifi Gold is the shiznit, guys. Real good stuff. So if you want to check it out, see, I'm trying not to swear as much on the podcast. That's where these weird words come from. I should edit that out, but I won't because I'm high on Organifi Gold. No, seriously, I did have some of it earlier and uh, put me in a really relaxed, um, but still kind of alert mood. It's amazing stuff and it tastes so bomb. You could even make like an ice cream with it. I'm going to start experimenting more with the gold. It's just a really good base powder that you can use for a lot of different things. Sometimes I'll throw some cacao in there, you know, I'll kind of mix it up a bit. Organifi Gold can be found at the following website, you guys. It's Organifi, spelled with an I, dot com forward slash Luke. That's Organifi.com forward slash Luke. If you want to save yourself some cashish, 
to the tune of 15%. Once you get over to their site, use the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15% at Organifi.com forward slash Luke. And now back to the interview. What I wanted to ask you was, sometimes in LA, believe it or not, it's actually quite foggy in the morning, so you can't Kills see the me, sunrise. Dude. So is it still worth me like going up the hill in my car and like looking at a sunrise no, that I can't see? I don't think so because it, it is worth being up for it, going to sleep early enough that you're up for right. it. You're just going outside because basically the clouds are scattering all the light equally. So if you just walk uh, out on your front door, it's you just look up and it's basically the light will incline so yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Okay, cool. Unless there's like on the coast, a lot of the time there's clouds on the sky, but there's a little piece between the horizon and the clouds where you will see the sun. Yeah. I know that's not the case with the June gloom in LA, yeah, yeah. which, yeah, I was surprised when I actually went the first time there in May. I was like, Jesus, this sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in the fall, then it was amazing the whole time. Yeah, you're like, cool this thing, doesn't look like Baywatch. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and also like I got there in May and the first thing I was like, can I go in the ocean? And I walked out of the ocean. I'm like, dun, dun, dun. I was like, ah, I was like screaming in pain. It was so cold. I mean, I could actually yeah, do yeah. the CT, but it was really off-putting in May. I was like, Cali should be like sunny and hot year round. Yeah. It's, it's I'm surprised. So Cal isn't like that, like I expected. Cool thing in the Santa Monica Mountains in LA, at the highest point where I would go, where I would watch my sunrise every day in Mount it's like an hour drive from down, from LA, hour and a half actually from LA. But ev- even when it was June gloom, dude, I was always in the sun because it's 2000 feet above LA. So up in the, the, the like region up there, it was pretty epic. Oh, <laughs> anyway, sick. yeah. So yeah, if you ever are like super gloomy in LA and you need sun, you can always go up to, it's called God's Seat. It's a rock formation. It's like super beautiful. Looks out on the valley on like Newbury Park and that kind of thing. Super dope. Anyhow. Um, but like thousand oaks kind of anyway, right. um, Westlake village is the direct, what it's looking at. Okay. So there's way, yeah. Rise with the sun. I hope that answers. That's a great question actually for people. Cause I wouldn't have thought to do that, but yeah, if it's cloudy, that's what you do, but you want to be awake naturally because you're Then you mean, that means your circadian rhythm's firing. So waking up with the sun, basically this is all repetition, but we'll do it anyway. Um, the, the signal from the sun, not only are all the benefits from sun gazing with just basically pure red and infrared light, but it's like photobiomodulation, like the juve and the red light panels to the max, super maxed out. Cause it's like the whole infrared and red spectrum basically coming at you directly from the sun. And it's really, really, really powerful. Um, it's really beneficial. So, and the, yeah, there's all the research on the strengthening the pineal gland and, increasing, improving vision. So sun rising alone, sun gazing alone is beneficial from the ancient knowledge, but also once the UV light comes in after, depending on where you are on earth, between like 15 minutes after the sun comes up, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, even more in the winter in certain places, that UVA turns off certain hormones that are initially stimulated by the rising of the sun. And so that's super important. So we want to be out quite a lot in the morning and that leads into... Well, let's say any questions on waking no. with the sun leading into step three, which is sunbathing and living outdoors during the day. So in general, because of what we discussed earlier, very, very well to my surprise, um, because of being, you want to live outdoors as opposed to inside behind glass, because then more infrared, near infrared, far infrared light, even on a cloudy day, you're still getting the full spectrum, powering your mitochondria full on, not as much infrared because it's filtered by the clouds, but still you're, you're getting powered by the sun. And so- 
on, uh, you know, we want to just be outside. Just even if you're under an umbrella or a balcony or at a cafe under the awning, but like you're still let the full spectrum of light, believe it or not, is still hitting the eyes. Dr. Ott, the researcher in his book, Health and Light, one of Wunsch's teachers who we mentioned earlier, who researched those chlorophyll, chloroplasts, and uh, the cells that are in our eye that act similarly under the influence of full spectrum light, they work way better. Um, he also found that he had horrible, he had arthritis, really severe arthritis actually for a long period of time. And he tried to solve his really severe arthritis by going to Florida and sunbathing his hip with the full spectrum of sunlight. And sure enough, the arthritis in his hip didn't improve with the bathing of the sun on his hip. But what happened was his sunglasses broke on the trip that he was on. And so when his sunglasses broke, his arthritis disappeared. So sunbathing his hip didn't work, but his sunglasses broke and his arthritis and his hip went away. So it shows that obviously the full spectrum of light coming through the eye has all these hormonal effects via the hypothalamus, which is the part of the brain that's those intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells are directly wired to for all these energetic signals that drive the hypothalamus is like the master, master, master of everything in the body. It contains the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which controls the circadian rhythm. It's the master clock keeper. It also contains the leptin receptor, which is the master obesity keeper, which is all messed up in the case of obesity. That's why people keep eating, eating, eating forever. Um, And so then the hypothalamus also controls like basically the whole endocrine system. So all the glands that secrete all the hormones uh, from the adrenals to the thyroid, to the pituitary gland in the brain, it's totally at the testes. It's epic. So if people think they have adrenal fatigue or like if a woman's hormones are all jacked up, the root, of it, is, the root of it is probably light. Absolutely. And that's so funny because there's all these people like in the supplement business and all this, like last night I listened to someone talk about supplements for quite a while the discussion after I left this uh, founder of the supplement company. And basically I was like, okay, there's, he's probably right about a lot. He knows a lot, you know, he's an expert in his field, but like missing the light perspective is, is very, very shame, a shame because what light does, and this was the actual Latin quote on the end of Wunsch's slide, which no one asked him what it meant, but I did. Um, and it means light moves matter. And that's like, I don't know why he had it there. It was symbolic. I don't know why he even put it because no one was going to know what it means in Latin, but literally like matter is just still, but light is what gives it the energy to move. And so every pathway, every system in the body, when we get the full spectrum of light, not only does light break apart the proper chemicals so they can become whatever they need to become as we discussed and vitamin D best example, absolutely. Um, But also it uh, just generally like keeps things moving by charging ourselves, by charging the water on ourselves, the infrared light from the sun, you know, structuring the water, like the fourth phase of water. Have you interviewed Gerald Pollack? Well, I was going to on this trip, uh, but sadly his, yeah. his wife passed and so he wasn't able to make it. Yeah. So that's obviously very disappointing. God bless him and his family. Um, so, but anyhow, he's done monumental work on the subject, you know, showing that the infrared light from the sun or not from the sun, but infrared light charges water, structures it up. And so basically in our body, like that's huge. And then when you add UV light on top of already structured water, it creates like a mega, mega charged water. And so it's just, when I read this, when I was on my exchange program in Bosnia, which we discussed as part of my story on the last show, um, I was like, my jaw was dropping that whole day. My jaw was dropping. I was like, this is how life works infrared light charges the water that makes up our cells. And then when you add UV light, it creates like a super mega battery, but the UV only works if you've already had the infrared light, which is one of the reasons also Dr. Cruz and other people say for sunburning, it's critical to get that morning light, 
which is free of UV and rich in infrared all across your skin. Um, you know, it, again, it's like if we grew up or if we lived in the, in the past world, like Northern Europeans in the summer, we would have had this all the time. And then in the winter it would have been mostly gray days, but we've gotten so much of vitamin D throughout the summer with our white skin that lets us make it way faster than people with dark skin that we're adapted to that low light condition. It's, uh, this is very interesting and absolutely controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's biophysically accurate. People who are, this is amazing. People with a really dark skin from, um, from places like Ethiopia and Somalia, the darkest skin that it can get, which is where humans originally came from, which we probably all had that skin actually in our evolutionary period. And we depigmentate basically. Have you ever noticed someone with really dark skin like that living in, North, in, in Europe and they have yellow eyes? The whites of their eyes have turned yellow. That's called jaundice. And the reason, as far as my understanding goes, and babies often are jaundiced and they put them under a blue light because the blue light has high energy to break apart this molecule. I believe it's called bilirubin, which is what causes jaundice. And so that's another molecule that light breaks apart in our body, the right frequencies, and renders it harmless. But when we get too much, we're basically screwed. So people who move from Africa, super dark skin, they need way more light to Northern Europe. Their eye whites turn yellow because they can't possibly get enough sunlight to do this process the way it's designed to be. Wow. So they get jaundice basically, wow. jaundice yellow eyes. So this is like how important this is. But as white Northern Europeans, we're designed to be in the low light. So yeah, basically people with really dark skin, uh, there's always got to be context about sunbathing and how to build up your sun exposure, which we haven't touched on. But this is why it's so important for step three to live outdoors during the day. We've already talked about this. But um, what do people do when they live somewhere hella cold where it's, you know, there's snow yeah, on the ground? So you and get tons of sun in the summer naturally. And then in the winter, you're taking advantage of the cold effect. Like there are certain fish and animals uh, that literally in cold, they like freeze still in cold water and they stay alive, fro basically frozen for the entire winter. Literally, they are solid, basically frozen the whole winter, but they're still living. It's fascinating. So basically humans, we don't freeze. We don't even hibernate, but we live in the cold and we basically take advantage of the cold benefits because the cold causes the mitochondria to generate more infrared light via super interesting, but cold. This is what Dr. Wallace explained to me. Definitely ask him about this when you do the mega mitochondrial interview, but basically um, uh, cold on the skin activates surface cold receptors, talk to the brain from the nerves to the brain. Um, and the brain says back, okay, it's cold as shit. Turn on the uncoupling proteins in the mitochondria. So these uncoupling proteins in the mitochondria basically take that revolving door energy generation process and they poke another revolving door in the wall. But instead of using the energy of all those people uh, packed tight in a room, in other words, all the hydrogens packed tight in the intermembrane space to generate just ATP, now it spins another revolving door and all that energy is just released as heat instead of electricity. That's what these uncoupling proteins are. And then the process is massively upregulating the amount of fat that's being brought to the mitochondria to be oxidized so that we have the hydrogens to power the energy. It's fascinating. That's why Wim Hof method works so well. So basically, what do we do when it's cold? We Wim Hof method all winter long, and then we're super healthy. And it's clear, even Wim Hof, like without the, the light focus, although he does by nature of going outside, get people into the light a lot more because you can't really do like natural cold bathing indoors. I mean, you can a bit, but it's not as effective naturally. But um, so basically we Wim Hof, if people know in the common terminology, Wim Hof it all winter long, and then you're going to be super healthy. Because like the point I was making is even without the light, he's still curing diseases with just one piece of the light diet. Well, several actually, the cold, 
cultivating your inner light and breathing techniques, which we've hardly talked about, but actually take it back. We've talked about oxygen and its role in the mitochondria more than anyone else has ever talked about oxygen and its role in the mitochondria on a podcast ever. Factually, <laughs> factually, no one has ever gone this deep on a podcast ever. So if the cold is stimulating uh, mitochondria- Uncoupling proteins, yeah. Uncoupling proteins, which has the net effect of allowing the mitochondria to create more ATP. Infrared light, not ATP. Oh, so it's, oh okay. So it, 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 yeah, I, I just actually, it does, it does ultimately have the net effect of allowing us to create more ATP because that infrared light, according to Dr. Cruz, based on his research, um, it, that infrared, just like Dr. Pollock has researched structures, the water around the mitochondria, which actually compacts the mitochondria biophysically, which basically keeps those spark plugs, the ignition system tight together, all those proteins. So the electrons can flow very nicely. It's kind of like electrons on a ball track or no, sorry, uh, like balls on a ball track that a kid puts together where like the pieces are like all apart and the electrons are going to drop off and not go very quickly, get stuck. But if it's all tight, all the pieces are tight, it flows very well. So yeah. Question for you then. What do you think in terms of order? My morning routine is meditate at the biocharger, charge up the cells. Then I get on the vibe plate in front of the Juve Elite, just the massive big, mm. big ass one. And then I do an ice bath, 35 degrees or so for around 10 minutes. Is this after sunrise or before sunrise? After sunrise. Okay. Then after that, then when I'm super cold, then I work out and then that's, then the morning's over. That's, do you think I should do the red light before or after the ice bath? I do it before because I want to get warm before I get in the ice bath because it's just easier to get in when I'm like warm yeah. from the vibe played in the, in the red light. I don't know. I'm inclined to think that it would be better to do it after, but I think that applies more to sunlight exposure because you, when you cool this, when we cool the surface of the skin, it allows us to better take the UV light, but infrared light already penetrates super deeply through our skin. So like I would, be inclined to just say, do whatever feels the most intuitive yeah. to you, which it sounds like well, that sometimes does. Sometimes I do both. Sometimes even, you know, if I have the time, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll do the ice bath, then I'll go back and yeah. do the red light a little bit. And then- I mean, my inclination would out. be say like, to be honest, would be like, do all that stuff before the sun comes up, except the light. Actually, no, you wouldn't want to get an ice bath probably before the sun comes up either because your body- dude. Yeah, exactly. No, that would be rough because, but it's brutal. You know, it's brutal, but it's because the mitochondria haven't like turned on properly. So like it, to do that, that, well, I do that, take a cold shower before any of this happens. Okay, actually, you're right. That's the very right. first thing I do. Yeah. And then I used to fast. I'd only have like a fatty coffee mm -hmm. and, and basically, you know, like go kind of fat adapted keto and then eat like maybe at four o'clock. But then after Jack was like, dude, you're playing yourself. You need to eat a super hearty breakfast first thing when you wake up. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, I, I can't. I'm not sure about by the, that, by the way. I mean, I, I'm going to trust Jack because he's been so right about it. this is literally just to be clear on credit. This is majority his work. I'm just doing my best to make it really understandable, which I think uh, in ways people can relate to. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm inclined to say like, I think he's probably right about that. But at the same time, the Ayurvedic tradition is to eat like a light breakfast, but then a very hearty lunch when the sun is the strongest and the metabolism is the most active because oh, you'll burn through it the faster because- they say that the pitta energy, which is fire energy, is strongest with the sun because it, it increases with the sun. And the pitta energy is how we burn through food. And you know what's funny? Pitta is like this fire in Ayurvedic, I guess. It's probably the same synonym for redox potential. Like in a day, the body's oh, redox right. ability to do this reactions of burning food goes up as the day goes on and then down after, like up towards midday and down after that. So 
Yeah. So like from my experience, again, having acutely experienced what like low redox is and knowing what's going on after the flights and the travel and disruption of circadian rhythm, man, eating a big breakfast would make me feel like shit really bad. Because And I'm pretty sure I knew why. It was because my redox was low. I couldn't burn through it. So I'm like just loading myself up. It's like putting tar into an engine in a way. We're just putting good gas into an engine that's not running. Let me, let me clarify. I think optimally we would eat the big breakfast and be able to burn through clarify it. clarify that. Actually, what I'm on, the routine I'm on now is do the meditation and I don't eat or drink anything before that because you don't want to be spending energy digesting anything. You want to be dropping into a yeah, transcendental that's for sure. place, right? So that's Absolutely. empty stomach. But then I'll drink my coffee on the vibe plate, on the red light. Then I'll ice bath. Then I'll work out because I want to work out in a fasted state with caffeine because I forget why. Well, but- if you had butter, you're technically not in a fasted state. It's butter coffee? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've had fat. Okay, fat. But, but I so have, you're in a ketogenic state. Yeah. Yeah. Then I go inside and have a big, it's not even, I don't know, I wouldn't even count it a meal, but I'll have like a protein smoothie, like bone broth protein, some brain Epic. octane oil, six Sounds like a pretty yolks. good routine. You know, that's the deal. You're charging the brain up. I think it sounds pretty good. I mean, I should yeah. probably tell people my routine. Like mine is currently, it's wake up. As, as best of my ability, again, going to sleep with the sun, waking up naturally before sunrise. With the travel, I've been testing how I feel, letting myself sleep until I wake up naturally and not using an alarm to force the wake up. If I'm up, say, till like last night, to like one, talking with all these awesome people from the summit. Which, again, <laughs> which we're going to be tonight, do dude. It's, probably. it's 940. Oh my and we gosh. Eaten dinner. <laughs> I have a flight in 12 hours to Austin, Texas. So I'm just, oh, I'm not dude. eating dinner. That's for sure, especially with the flight tomorrow. I did mess it up the last two nights for the dopamine benefit of the community, which again, I've been alone on a Croatian island for the last month. Poor me, right? But right. Um, so I haven't had meals with people. So I was like, you know what? I'll have some meals at 7 or 8 p.m., 9 even with the group. But I would not do this in a normal routine. The key is is what you're doing in your regular routine. Right. So to be clear, um, to be clear, we, I'm so I'm getting to sleep with the sun, waking up with the sunrise. This is pretty much my morning routine I'm describing. I'll meditate before the light comes up. Uh, even before that, I'll take a, a hot shower and then end on cold. So first, actually, no, first thing I brush my teeth and scrape my tongue, Ayurvedic style. Once the mouth is clean, then I drink a half liter of water to get hydrated. And then I will eliminate. So ideally the bowels would be ready to move at this time of the day, but if they're not, I'll just urinate. And then hot shower, cold shower to end and get, I get really cold. I love freezing. And then I will meditate. Now I'm in a great energetic state after the shower, especially meditate until basically the sun's coming and then watch the sunrise. But the number of days I've actually stuck to this out of the last month is maybe not even half. So that's like ideal, but because of the movement, I haven't been as tight on it, but always without failure, I'm getting up and getting light on me and generally putting in time to meditate um, as much as I can bring myself to. So yeah, but the light is like the one factor that really doesn't go away. And then I'll have breakfast after the sun rises, but I'm still torn like, you know, once I get my redox really much sharper, I think, you know, having a big breakfast would be kind of the right move. But for now, I'm a little lighter because I don't want to just not feel well because I have low redox. It's like, I, I know it would maybe be better, but I've destroyed my function to some level. So I am not going to put more, let's say, gas on the fire and hurt myself and make myself be miserable when I know that eating a big breakfast, I'll feel sluggish. Word. So that's kind of the idea. What's yeah. step four? Step four, well, so actually other part of step three is sunbathing. 
people kind of get this, oh. but we've already built this up. But like you need to build up five minutes, 10 minutes per day. So it's kind of two steps in one, but like live outdoors during the day and build up your sun exposure. But the sunbathing, besides the circadian reset of the sunrise, sunbathing is like when you build your redox the most. That's when you get the infrared and the ultraviolet to supercharge up the cells. That's like photobiomodulation from a red light panel times a million. Literally, it's uncomparable. Um, it's like photobiomodulation on like mega, mega, mega steroids, like Barry Bonds, like way <laughs> over the top. Funny, funny side note. I was like super young. My mom and I were, my family was going to San Francisco for, um, just to visit my aunt and uncle. My mom bought tickets to the Giants game, like way ahead of time. The night we showed up out of all the nights for the baseball game happened to be the night Barry Bonds was about to hit the record breaking home run. So I got to be like 10 years old and watch Barry Bonds hit his 756 home run. But they found out he was on roids later. So it kind of killed my uh, <laughs> being stoked about being there for the home run. But anyway, so step four, now that people have got the sunbathing, again, listen to other podcasts I've done where we get in depth on that stuff. Yeah. So step four um, is eating seafood because consumption of seafood allows us to assimilate light better. Simple, DHA. But again, mercury discussion, avoid higher up seafood, eat like mackerel, sardines, and shellfish are the best. This is what powered evolution of the human brain. And we went deep on this in the last episode. So consume seafood, but especially shellfish, lower on the food chain, especially if you're not optimal, which most of us aren't, and able to detox the mercury as well. So avoiding swordfish, tuna, farm-raised farm fish, and farm-raised salmon, and so on, wild-caught and lower like sardines and that stuff. So mackerel, herring. So that's pretty much step four. Step five is consuming um, water that is unfluoridated and toxin-free. And Luke, you have an episode on that. You talk about that all the time. Lowering deuterium is great. Deuterium depleted water is epic, but we don't really have time to get into that. But there's episodes on that and we can touch on it in a future episode. So yeah, good water, done. Uh, that in short, like the seafood allows us to assimilate light better because we put it in our cell membranes and so on. And it, when UV light hits DHA, this fatty acid molecule from seafood, which is the reason why we'd eat it in addition to all the other minerals and so on that are in shellfish in particular that are specific for the human brain because it's what led us to evolve from apes, easily accessible food at the coast. Um, that basically the light causes like an electric current in the seafood and basically it charges up our cells, simply put. Um, the water, if it's good quality, it stores the light energy better. Whereas if it's full of fluoride, it's going to do all these negative things. Plus, we can't have that fourth phase as effectively when it's full of all kinds of chemicals and it's not as alive as the water you drink and so on. So yeah, there's a problem there. With, so, the, with the water piece, um, yeah. I was going to ask um, Gerald Pollack if my homemade EZ water was legit because I have the vitalizer, which spins the water, vortexes it using a magnet. And then I have this new juve panel. I don't think it's out, but it's like, no, two times as big as the go. It's like about a foot tall. Mm -hmm. It's pretty pretty potent and it has a timer on the side. So, and the vortexer has a timer and I set them both for 20 minutes and I just blast that spring water with the red light while it spins. And then I immediately put it in a dark refrigerator and I was going to ask him, am I, am I making, I mean, it's not, it's not like the gel exclusion yeah, exactly. water. It's not the fourth phase of water, but am I making the water more chronic? Yeah, I can say, that? I mean, from what I've gathered, like as long as the water's toxin free and pretty living, of course, lower deuterium water is great and people can listen to the Boros episode to understand why. Um, it's very expensive though and hard to find often. But um, if you just go in the sun after drinking good quality water, I think that's as far as I understand, like the way to really do it. You'll so, make it in your body. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and yeah. so like, 
You, far sauna. There's probably yeah, yeah, in, infrared sauna. Yeah. Far infrared. I don't think far infrared has the same effect on structuring like a heat steam sauna, but near infrared. Yeah. Just I think I actually no. I should you know, know what this I better. did, dude. Since I last I, saw I, you, I take that back. I'm not sure about which far or near, but yeah, sauna and juve probably would have some benefit. But the sun is way better. Since I last saw you, I um, you know, I've always had the clear light sauna, my favorite, and it's full spectrum, meaning it has near, mid, and far. But some of the panels are stronger than others. And I like it to get hot super fast and you have to heat it up. And if I forget about it, the timer goes off and it's annoying. So Brian at Sauna Space sent me one of his in- his big ass, badass incandescent near infrared bulbs. Yeah. Yeah. And I and it's in a little it's on a little piece of wood and I put that inside the sauna. Oh man. And it cranks up super fast. And dude, I mean, I warm it up maybe 15 dude. minutes. I get in there and it the that his light's so close to me combined with You're all this really me, great. <laughs> These really great, um, the clear light ones that come in the sauna, but the combination of the two, and then I'll take his light and shine it on like my joints that hurt, and I'll shine it on my um, thyroid and my face. I and think my that's scalp. probably really good. Yeah, dude, it Definitely. is next. Yeah, level, I gotta come bro. to your biohacker lounge. It's next I'm gonna be level. in Vegas at like an optical fair, and I was like, I'm gonna stop traveling. I'm gonna go to Mexico and settle yeah. in the sun. But I'm in Vegas in like four or five days. So. I'm sorry, you have to go to Vegas. Yeah, I know. There. It's, it's an optical fair. Yeah, it's really brutal, bro. I'm going to be inside um, so much more there. But, but maybe the new I'll sauna dr- configuration point is I, it you works. sweat balls like Great. five minutes in there and you're just like pouring. That's healthy. And then Brian also sent me, he has like this big wood panel that has four bulbs. I tried to put that in mm. my sauna, blew, blew my power out. <laughs> yeah, so I Great. blew all the breakers. So I can't do that yet. I got to, you know, when I move into a Epic. my own house and I can dial in the, you know, the capacity yeah. of the of the breaker box and stuff. I'll change that. Dude, but this has been insane. So, all right. So but it's wh- rad. What's rad is going in the ice bath and then standing in front of Brian's big incandescent four light thing. Cause it's, they're so hot and they just light you up and they penetrate so deep and you don't have to be inside a sauna. It just, it sits there. I'll just like leave it next to me when I'm doing yeah. a biocharger. Some next level light shit. Light penetrates anyway. like very well. Yeah, deep, 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 deep penetration that's is dope. tremendously beneficial in the body when All right, it comes where are to we, light. Are, are we on so six? We are on uh, four and five. We're seafood and drinking good yeah, water. Yeah, yeah. Step six is to uh, bathe in the cold. And we've discussed the reasons for this at length. So oh, I don't think tight. we need to go into that. But absorbing more light ice, by cooling the skin. Baby. Exactly. Ice, like Luke, ice, his baby. Instagram pictures are amazing. The one yesterday, I think, I was so <laughs> stoked. It was so beautiful. Yeah. And the ice. That's well, that, like super extreme. Well, that one I had a photo super shoot at my point. house and I um, you know, my my cold chest that I made, which if you guys want plans for it, just Google Luke Story Ben Greenfield Ice Bath, because I gave Ben my plans and all the photos and links and stuff, and he did a blog post because I'm too lazy and busy to ever make a blog post about it. So if you guys want my ice bath, which is a it's a Sears chest freezer that's all dialed in with grounding and all this cool shit. Yeah. Um, Guys, if anyone knows really, really good assistance, I think Luke needs some good assistant <laughs> help. So you can even email me or You'll something. You'll screen them for me? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm looking for- to take the human- Actually, anyone who's made it this far, I'm serious. You're probably really smart. I'm looking for a really good assistant. So not to like take advantage of the time, but actually to take advantage hey, of this man, opportunity. Hit him up. I need a really good assistant, people who are really responsible. So yeah. We will do a talk and Luke and I are actually both in desperate need of really good people. So if you've made it this far, you're really good people. Um, hit me up. I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, actually, <laughs> you should email support at roptics.com and then you'll come our way. Yeah, well, whoever, I can't give my email on this episode. That would someone, be suicide. If <laughs> someone's, 
Is someone still <laughs> with us? Face down. At two hours and 56 minutes. Oh, man. They're, We're going to pass the last episode. They should episode. get some kind of prize, honestly. Not my email. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe the I'll prize is getting, down a, is getting like a job a, for you. In a river after having to deal anyway, with this. Anyway, okay. Back to the ice bath. So, ice so, bath. Yeah, my so man. So I have the plans on Dig Ben it. Greenfield's blog. Luke's story, Ben Greenfield ice bath. It's you'll, really good. You'll find it, okay? But and anyway, while you're there, you can listen to my podcast from the 21st of September, The Light Diet. That photo that you saw, my ice bath doesn't make ice. It just gets, you know, 35 mm-hmm. degrees and I have the timer set, right? So it never makes ice because then I have to break the ice with the kettlebell and it's yeah. annoying. But for it's the photo, annoying. we went and bought a bunch of ice and filled up my yeah, cold chest so with better. ice just it to make so it look cool. dope. But truthfully, I do actually like taking an ice bath with the water and the ice. Is my it's preference. even better because there's more cold. Dr. Cruz, when yeah. he did his CT protocol, which he used to lose all this weight, he would take ice in the plastic bags and put it on his chest around his fat areas right. to trigger even more fat burning. That's how I first started doing it was from his blog. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, Likewise, go that's what got me into him. I'd go to 7-Eleven. I think I got like a compression shirt or something. Yeah, the so whole, I didn't burn exactly. My skin. It's the whole yeah. steps. That's yeah. how I did too. But he would do it in, a, the next step was in the water with the ice bath. If you have targeted weight loss you want to achieve. Ooh. It's like the cold, you know, they have Zeltic. It's the metal plates they used to yeah. literally cool fat off yeah. it's kind of like a hack but the thing is if you don't fix the fundamental circadian rhythm and you know hormonal imbalances then you'll just do that pay all this money and then get fat again basically yeah. that's the problem right. so but it'll work and temporarily step um, seven step seven this is getting really interesting it is avoid non-native man-made electromagnetic radiation because you do all this stuff to put in the charge and help to better absorb the charge with the seafood and the cold and the water and then you get the sun and you charge up and you're avoiding the fake light at night, which is one of the things you do to avoid discharging all your charge. But the same thing comes along with this, which is avoiding man-made EMF. That's like discharging the charge in the body. And so therefore we want to avoid it. And the biggest step on that is not living in major metropolitan cities with 5G coming on. But the, and so that's like really like, that's like number one. And then like way down the list is like, of course, turning your phone on airplane mode and avoiding Wi-Fi, hard wiring with Ethernet. Because again, EMF basically alters the voltage-gated calcium channels in the cell, of which I am not a particular expert. Tons of research on it. People who think that's woo-woo just know that the research done by the industry shows no effect from EMF. Surprise, surprise. But the research done by non-industry researchers shows very significant effects and therefore make your own decisions. With just, that, just- Internet web search, don't use the internet web search that starts with G because we all need to boycott those evil fuckers. For cutting everyone's traffic in the health world. I didn't know about that until yeah. this oh, event, they're, it's, but they're it's de- really bad. They're demonic. And so does this mean we, we shouldn't make, use the G Chrome we, either? We, yeah, we have to make like them Safari. pay. We have to make them pay. Yeah. Um, and, Did they know. hit you too? I don't know. Maybe uh, Apple might have mm. because I did an episode uh, about the V word. Mm. Not the fun V word, but the V <laughs> word that involves shots in your little baby. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. The V word. Oh, man. The um, shots in your baby. Oh. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So anyway, and, so and so that's step seven is okay. avoiding EMF. There's tons of resources on this where the you know, people you get listen to the last episode seriously. And step eight, the best. I actually spent, so the step one, the change from being seven to one, the sleeping with the sun. Oh, I, no, I was going to say, I got off on, on, on okay, the, the evil V-word. G, but oh, no, what you want to web search is cancer uh. clusters. Cell, just put cell tower cancer clusters and then tell me they're safe. See what you find. 
yeah, hopefully Luke doesn't, you know, isn't found like dead in a river or something. Yeah, right. All this stuff. <laughs> like you know, a, it's like all those naturopath doctors that disappeared in the past couple yeah, of years. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's a concern. Luckily, I don't have a medical license, so I'm not as, you know, susceptible to that kind of torture, Yeah, but. yeah. So, um, step eight. Step seven, that. And then step eight is, so I was spending from October of last year until this summer, I was trying to refine this one because there's lots of things that were, I knew had to be included in the light diet, but I didn't know how. So these include reading good books, um, cutting bad people out of your life because they literally biophysically steal your light and then keeping good people in your light, like the ones you're with and you feel their warmth and their glow and they just make you feel great. They're donating like biophotons to you. It's epic. Uh, Speculation based on really, really good research. That's to be clear. Um, Dr. Woodenshaft, actually, I was like, oh, I don't like making claims, but I'm really not 100% sure about the science. He's like, listen, this is how science works. It's just good practice to declare when there's speculation versus hard facts. And there's mostly hard facts here. And I've declared when there's speculation. So um, you, and you can feel this. I mean, that's it. People, it's already cliche. Everyone knows it, but there's biophysics to it. And there's physics and biophysics to everything in the universe because it underpins everything. So rather than being like, oh, it's just woo-woo, it's like, you know, there is a physical effect going on when someone makes you feel like shit versus someone makes you feel amazing. It's just like, either we understand it so far or we don't understand it yet. So yeah, and then the research is clear. It's light, it's energy. So um, other things included in this besides reading good books are like Qigong and meditation. And so the name I finally came to for all this when I realized what we talked about earlier that we are a soul, it's cultivate your inner light. That's step eight. And this was actually how we started the episode. We briefly brought it up, but you cultivate the inner light with all these things. And so, I mean, because you follow Dr. Fruce, you naturally already do all the things on the light diet and even more. But these are like the key fundamental tenets, women, if you want to have a child and improve your mitochondria, anyone who wants to get better. Again, one of the biggest steps that's hard to be underpinned is seven and particularly the piece of it, avoiding major metropolitan cities in the modern world, especially if, you have, if you're sick with a disease, like if you have an indoor job and you're sick and you're in a big EMF city, like it'd be super, super hard to hack it. Like if you're super into like Qigong and energy practice and you do everything to the max extent that you can, you'll probably have huge benefits, but it's possible you won't be able to, you'll hit a certain like glass ceiling, I guess, a certain like limit in your, within your current present environment that you just can't pass. So that's why like moving to a place with more sun, at least for one winter, or a couple winters, at which point you might be optimal enough to get into the cycle. Which also made me a bit concerned about the idea that Jack has presented of moving somewhere to the tropics with chronic sunlight when you're a Northern European who's like always had like winter, summer, winter, summer, which, you know, like there's certain, I think like plants and things that, you know, they, when they haven't had like the proper winter, they can't thrive in the proper summer. So it's like, I'm almost concerned of this following the sun idea, at least at my age, when I'm still growing and developing. I might want to heal myself in a sunny place and then go somewhere low EMF, but with winter so that I can get that seasonal variation of at least a bit of cold. It doesn't need to be snowing oh, and that's freezing. Interesting. Fascinating, but yeah. I trust Wunsch so much on these subjects. I don't that, know what I am. I mean, I'm technically European, but I'm kind of dark. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm, but you'd be in Northern. I mean, only like people who, like white people, if you have white skin, you must have uh, descended based on the research from like the Caucasus, like the Ural Mountain area in Russia or like Northern Europe, like the Nor Norway, Germany, even Italians are right. much darker skin. So maybe you're more Italian I am, or yeah. so on. Do you know, have you done 23 Me? like you've seen your gene breakdown? No, I haven't done it, but I know- Just use different names. So, so the G word doesn't own your genetic yeah, data. No they shit. own mine. I'm 
toast. I know those dick weeds. Um, no, I haven't done it. I just know from you know being around when my grandparents were around and interviewing my parents uh, about the yeah. lineage and stuff. But yeah, That's most good. Italian and, yeah. and English. But I, I, I guess when you look at me, I look like a white guy. But when I look yeah. at myself compared to a guy like you, I feel yeah, you like have less definitely more southern, southern European for sure, Southern All European because right. I'm Irish. Uh, funny note on me being Irish. I just love this because I learned this today. How stoked am I? How stoked am I? So I have an American passport because I'm American, but I also have an Irish passport because my grandma's from Dublin. But how, how, get this, with Brexit, so the UK is losing all the benefits of being part of the EU. Like if you, UK and you want to work in Spain, Germany, anywhere in European Union, Lithuania, Poland, you know, Hungary, whatever, Croatia, Greece, you have to now apply for citizenship residency in those countries, at which point you'll probably be able to have the benefit of going around Europe freely like they can. However, um, and then, so Britain can't get all those benefits. And it likewise, if you're a European living in Britain, you're going to have to basically do like, if you came to the States, like get British residency, although they'll probably make it easier, but there's one country, Ireland, because of the Northern Ireland debacle, the whole issues they've had with the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland and the Protestants and the Catholics, basically, um, they want to have what's called a common travel area where like they never build a border, like an official border between Northern Ireland, the United Kingdom and uh, Ireland again, because like, you know, there's so much killing and slaughter. Probably when you were younger, I wasn't really alive for it. So much animosity. And so they don't want to put a physical border because it'll create problems. So basically on the side of the EU stuff, Ireland and the UK made a deal that they will still maintain their own deal, like EU style, separate from the EU. So they never have to build a border at this point between Northern Ireland and Ireland. But what that means is me as a person with a passport from the Republic of Ireland, I have the benefit of both being part of the Irish UK, meaning I could go to the UK, stay as long as I want, do whatever I want, work here, live here, whatever, because of that and the benefit of the EU. So now I have like the, the strongest stack of passports in the world, the US and the Irish passport. And again, if you're British, you don't get the benefit because you have to deal with all the stuff right. if you go to Europe. But Ireland is still part of the European Union, but it's also still part of the island union here, like the UK and Britain. So, I just learned that today. I was so talking. I need to marry an Irish girl from the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Well, then you could just do the, I mean, it's not, it's just fun. It's also because there's the signs everywhere. You see them get ready for Brexit. So I decided to look uh, in and it just has like a, a set of questions that you follow. Like, am I Irish, British, living in the UK, living whoa. in Europe? And so it's just, I realized like, dang, I'm Irish. I can Sick. both stay in the UK and stay in Europe if I want. So like, it's epic. So if I want to stay here forever, totally good. Anyway, um, big benefit because Europe is way less messed up on 5G stuff, but it's, I think it's getting pretty bad too. Anyhow, um, but people can also, from the US, you could probably get residency, not that hard. But so, okay, so the light diet, step eight. I mean, you're the master on cultivating your inner light, although I know you've been recording now for all of eight hours. 10 hours straight. <laughs> 10 hours straight. We just hit the so 10 hour mark. Luke's, Luke's inner light is having this a might bit be, fatigue. I'm just having <laughs> steak deficiency. Steak it's deficiency. Really... Uh, I might have to break the rules this evening. Anyhow. Um, Actually, you know what so, would be bomb, dude, is if we could find some oysters. I'd like to go- Oh, before my flight, dude. I'd like to go crush epic. like 30, Tim and them are probably like, 30 where oysters. Is I've yeah. been texting him. He's like, dude, you're insane. I, got, I know. But <laughs> we like, can't rush It's not magic. over till it's over, babe. It's like Lenny Kravitz said. All right, so I can say that everyone here, you have the light diet. Like cultivate your inner light, like do your thing, shine on, smile, be happy. Like I'm no expert in this. Trust me, I've had plenty of like mood swings, blah, blah, blah. But this definitely works really well. And there's pieces that aren't included, other protocols and hacks, but like mitochondrial health, the work of Dr. Cruz, especially, which is amazing and beautiful. This is condensed into these steps. And from my experience, I've edited, added a few things. So this is super, super, super dandy for improving health. And this is what we talked about in the last episode, but like 
with a lot of just like no structure and less explanation and clarity on why, how it all works. So I think I would say, I didn't think it was possible to outdo the last episode. I think it's been outdone by orders of magnitude. I would so say I so wouldn't too. be surprised if we can hit number one again, but we'll Let's see. Let's do it. Share. Oh, oh, now that you're still watching, do me a favor. Do what everyone did last time when this launched. Take a screenshot of the podcast, please. Spotify everything. Share it on your Instagram story. Tag me at the light diet on Instagram. My old handle was like Maddie underscore M. So it yeah, was like way harder annoying. to like really deal with because three underscores. So now you can tag me way easier too, which presumably will help the light diet. And uh, also tag Luke and just share it. Make it super viral. Show it to your friends, especially if they're, you know, rich, famous, important. <laughs> you remember last night at dinner, <laughs> you were like, the one guy was saying like, oh yeah, I have this friend who's a billionaire who lives in LA. And like, when he learns about something interesting, like problems or something, he's like, you know, he'll give them money. And Luke's like, oh, I have, I have some problems. <laughs> <laughs> it was really well done. <laughs> oh, anyway. Jesus, man. <laughs> that was um, really well done. Matt, answer this one quickly because you've answered it before, but it's my tradition. I don't, I don't think I've ever missed this in 220 <laughs> wow. episodes or whatever. Not this time. You've taught me a shitload of crazy stuff today. Who oh, have been so three glad. teachers or teachings that have influenced your life in any general area that you might recommend our listeners go learn from as well? That's magnificent. Uh, definitely Dr. Jack Cruz goes without saying, as mentioned before. Julius Caesar, um, he wrote a book called The Conquest of Gaul in which he... Um, describes the conquest of Gaul from the northern Italian border in the Alps, conquering all of Gaul, all the different tribes. I mean, seriously, when I say it's like one of the dopest books I've ever read, it's one of the dopest books I've ever read. It's quite small, but the battles, they had legions, each legion is like 5,000 men. He had several legions marching with him everywhere, 10,000, 15,000 men. He's a leader in his scarlet, scarlet robe. They would build, they would take weeks just to siege a city, building fortifications around it. And the final battle when they defeated the Gaul, the Gaul, Gaul people, and they would always revolt. And well, what happened was they had not only them trapped by a siege, but they were sieged by, they were trapped. They were attacked from the outside, by all the rest of the Gallic people, basically the French and the British were Gallic to some extent. So they had this donut, basically they had an inner line sieging the inner city that was trapped and an outer line protecting themselves and almost got totally toast, but they held strong. And then when they won, because they didn't want them to revolt again, not that this is healthy practice, but you know, it's why French is Latin and Romans and the Western world is what it is. They cut the hands off of everyone rather than killing them all to show mercy, cut all their hands off so that Gallics would never revert, you know, revolt again from Caesar's control. And thus France became a province. And it was just super dope to read about his crossing of the channel. I mean, I crossed from Paris for this reason, largely on a train under the channel. I mean, it took them like a year to build the whole fleet. And then they took the whole fleet over and they're on like an island. They don't know how big it is. A couple legions of men, an island full of people, all of whom want to murder you because they've heard from people traveling regularly that you control all this continent and you basically screw everyone and take hostages and take advantage of them. And which is true. And the Romans did that. 
And so basically their, their boats all got beached. He was like, yeah, we didn't really know about these things called tides because we were always in the Mediterranean. So pretty much our entire fleet got beached and destroyed. Oh, and we were trapped on a foreign island. We were kind of screwed, but basically we pillaged and screwed them all. And, and the, the Romans even founded the city of London here. So it's pretty fascinating. So Julius Caesar, super dope. He's like one of my greatest inspirations ever, not because of cutting people's hands off, but because he's a badass. And um, the second, and also, you know, like, I'm Italian to some extent, which is why I'm not like six foot five or whatever, like Luke, but probably more like German, maybe not. But so like just <laughs> shows you the people who are short because he was apparently kind of short. I'm not that short, but you know, five ten, five nine, still can conquer the world and be the leader. So, <laughs> you know, just, but that's like, you know, I'm like I empathize with this guy, you know, world domination. And then the other is Ayn Rand. Do you know Ayn Rand? I've heard the She's name. A f- oh, best. She's a Russian born woman and people there's uh, you're going to lose like I'm going to lose a lot of people from from this just saying this maybe but basically Russian born woman you'll like her a lot um born just before the Bolshevik revolutions young daughter young woman and um her family owned pharmacies and whatnot and basically all of everything they worked for really hard was taken away by the Bolsheviks because they thought that basically how can we say that people who have and have a lot basically are tyrannical, evil, and they don't deserve it because basically money comes from nowhere and um, basically communism. So that like there's no, you know, people who have like the heads of the hospitals that they killed all of them and the people who own all the land because they farmed really hard and worked really hard. They took all, they killed them in the streets. They raped them. They stole all their land. They redistributed the hospital ownership to idiots who didn't have and run the hospitals because they were stupid and they weren't smart enough to do that. Same with the Kulaks who the Russians killed because they were the wealthy landowners who worked hard. So they had all this land and farms and they produced all the food supply. So they ended up killing like, I think 10 million people by famine, by eliminating the people who actually worked hard and produced their economy because they didn't realize that, you know, the reason certain people have a lot is because they work hard for it. Um, and anyway, she was inspired, you know, her family left, thankfully all their pharmacy stuff was taken away or whatever their businesses were. And then she basically became an author about the toxicness of communism and socialism and the major oh, threat, like the major, yeah. In the fifties, she published her magnum opus, like her greatest publication, a book called Atlas Shrugged, 1,200 page book that I highly recommend everyone read. Amazing, amazing book. Some people think it's like childish and like, oh, it's like super idealistic. But the, if you understand the underlying philosophy, it's basically that, um, in order to live, and this is great, great way to end the, the whole thing. Life isn't free. You have to react hydrogen with oxygen in your mitochondria to stay alive. And you have to forage that yourself. And if someone else forages it for you and you're living off of them foraging it, then you're basically living off of someone else and you're basically a leech essentially. And, um, and to basically like the communist philosophy or the idea is that basically the people who produce they can just produce infinitely so you can just tax them like crazy and the government can make more socialism too and de- democ- Democrats in the United States. Well, I shouldn't probably say that here, but generally the far left philosophies, yes, believe that you can just tax people like myself who work hard and build their own business. My friends who are in university, you know, this is another thing I've learned about, like they're in university and they're like, high taxes, high taxes. And I'm like, you're sitting in school studying some environmental sciences or something that doesn't really, maybe not environmental sciences, but something that isn't correlating to like real life. And basically they're saying like, oh yeah, let's have more taxes. So basically the people like me who work hard and create value in the world, they're just going to basically 
live off people who work hard. It's like leeching. That's basically her, the antithesis of what she's all about. Like people should work hard. Now there's lots of caveats and blah, 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 things where like, you know, there's disabled people who literally can't work. And so maybe there's certain cases, but most people who take welfare, who take money, they're not disabled. They just don't work. And so it is a shame. So she's awesome, yeah, epic. And cool. there's like most of the big Republicans who I don't necessarily agree with on things, just to be clear with people here, I'm more like libertarian and, and, and freedom and so on, just to be clear. But most of the, a lot of big Republicans are huge fans of her, even including the ones who led to like the financial crisis, you know, because it was all about capitalism. She's a mega capitalist. Um, her philosophy is called objectivism. It's basically that the highest moral value is to pursue your own rational self-interest, which means your own self-interest, but not at the expense of others. So, um, yeah, like not hurting people, not stealing, not lying, not cheating, but, um, yeah, providing value for the world. And it's just such a beautiful story. I was emotional in tears at certain points. I mean, like 1200 pages, dude, <laughs> insane, Damn, bro. but I was reading it. Like that was probably the best time of my life in the last year was when I had that book just to go to at any point. It was like exciting to go to. So I, I probably should reread that or read other of her works and find similar authors, book, book suggestions, send them my way. So yeah, super fascinating. Um, Dr. Cruz, Julius Caesar, and Ayn Rand. Awesome, dude. Yeah. I'm... Well, we've gone uh, 316. <laughs> it's 10, 10 p.m. Let's officially drop the mic, my friend. Good to see you. Good to hang. Dude, I didn't think we could outdo it, but seriously, especially <laughs> with low voltage Luke after all this time, crushed it. So, uh, mic right. drop. Let's go find some fresh oysters to crush. Shine on. Okay, I'm going to be straight up with you right now. If you're hearing my voice, which obviously you are, otherwise your device would be turned off, the podcast would be over. But the fact that you're hearing my voice right now means that you are a diehard Lifestylist podcast fan. And for that, I really want to thank you. I get direct messages sometimes from people on Instagram. By the way, please follow me on Instagram. If you were following me on Instagram, you could have seen this interview with Matt in its entirety live in real time because just about every time I do a recording actually live stream it. So follow me on Instagram at Luke story, S T O R E Y. It's a real party over there. But anyway, back to what I was saying, I get messages from people all the time that, um, tell me, Hey, I'm the one that hears you at the end of your episodes. When you say the diehard fans are the only ones listening. So if you're back again, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you. And, uh, I also just want to congratulate you for making it through this really monumental, uh, episode. It was, you know, uh, quite a commitment. And so thank you for committing yourself to your own health and well-being. And I'm just going to say this, you know, and I'm, I'm about to plug some supplements and devices and you know me if, well, maybe you don't, but if you know me, I'm like a freaking supplement and biohacking junkie. I mean, almost to the point of it being pathological, which I've been accused of and they might not be wrong. I am mad at that. We'll grow out of it maybe someday. That said, Matt's a guy who <laughs> was really, really sick, as you can hear in his first episode uh, that I did in New York uh, a year and a half ago or so. Um, it's called Extreme Biohacking Millennial Edition. You can scroll back and find that. I forget the episode number offhand because I'm having a modafinil deficiency this evening. But uh, anyway, this kid was super sick, just totally hated his life, um, just you know, really on the skids. And basically through adjusting his light schedule, as you just heard, and eating a pretty simple kind of paleo-ish diet, the kid is like the fountain of youth now. He doesn't seem to age at all. I think he's, he's like permanently stuck at 19 or whatever the hell age he is. And um, 
he's a really healthy, happy guy. And so he's kind of a testament to the fact that if you really focus on sleep and um, paying attention to your light environment, uh, undomesticating yourself, getting out into nature, that you can really transform your light. And I've, in fact, I've got an episode coming up soon. I don't want to do too much of a spoiler alert, but it's uh, all about autism and the causes and cures for that particular affliction. And um, the hint here is that it has a lot to do with the stuff Matt is talking about in this episode. So I'm really excited to share health tips and biohacks that just require self-discipline and not necessarily tons of cash. That said, if you're someone like me and likes doing all the nature-based stuff and also likes to spend tons of cash, (laughs) I'd like to encourage you to get over to lukestory.com forward slash store, which is where I link out to not only all of my show sponsors, but each and every supplement or biohacking device or technology, any kind of alternative healing gadget that I've ever used or currently used that I think is valid and worth buying. They're all linked on my site. That's lukestory.com forward slash store. So instead of geeking out and trying to search for stuff on your own, just trust me, I've vetted everything. I've tried everything. When I find something that works, I put it in my store. Uh, There you will find our three sponsors for this episode, Juve Red Light Therapy. You're also going to find Organifi, their uh, green juice powders and the Organifi Gold, two of my favorites. And then my number one probiotic after getting scammed for probably the past 20 years and buying super shitty probiotics, you can find Just Thrive over in the store too. And that's a spore-based probiotic that hatches inside your gut. It sounds kind of gross, but this is the whole point. Um, And then runs the show down there. So you're putting good bacteria in that's not even born yet. It gets born inside your gutty and then it just starts ruling the show down there. Very effective, very cool probiotic that actually works. So you can find those again at lukestory.com forward slash store. And uh, until then, I'm going to bid you a farewell until I come back next Tuesday to teach you how to cut your workout time 10x. I'm not even kidding. It's called fitness and fat loss for lazy people. I wouldn't consider myself lazy. It was just a good kind of clickbait title, to be honest. But uh, because I'm a hard worker and when I do physical shit, I do it hard. But I also don't like it. So if I can make working out effective and fast, I'm going to do it. And I found this thing called the Carol bike, this AI exercise bike. And if you knew me, I mean, any of my friends, like I am not the guy that has an exercise bike in his garage. I'm just not like that would never, ever happen. But I became so convinced that this thing could help me based on some friends that have it and whatnot, that I got one and I had to find the founders and track them down and figure out the science behind it, which is what next Tuesday show is about. So thank you so much for joining me and Matt Maruka on this one. And I look forward to jumping back inside your head next Tuesday. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.